Cuff Radio is about to begin. Everybody loves a hero. I believe there's a hero in all of us. I've been asked before, why do you interview so many people about hell? Well, back in the early 80s, I have what I believe was a near-death experience, and I believe I went to the gates of hell. And though my experience was nothing like the three that I will be playing here today, I still believe that we need to reach the world and let them know there really is a hell. So listen to these testimonies and think about it. I have Dr. Isaiah Reed. How are you doing, doctor? I'm doing fine. And I'm not going to even begin to try to tell any of your testimony. I'm just going to let you tell us what you feel like God wants you to share. Well, I want to share that the Bible says that even though we're not faithful, God remains faithful. And I grew up in the church. I actually come from five generations of preachers. And um, the faithfulness of God is just without, without even comparison. Um, he's more faithful than the sun coming up every day. He's more faithful than us trusting in the, in, in the weather. He's just, uh, he's just an awesome God that's always there. Even during the storm, the sun is always behind the clouds. And he had promised my mother at the age of 17 that if she would give him a, a son, you know, I guess today we would call it dedicate your child to the Lord, a real dedication to the Lord, like the prayer of Hannah, that, um, he would he would use me and be a preacher. And I never desired that. I wasn't there. She she wasn't even married yet. She was seventeen. She had me, and God answered that prayer. So I grew up in the church. Jesus in the morning, Jesus in the afternoon, and Jesus when the sun go down. But just because you go to church, don't mean you getting it or you saved or you even believe. And just because I come from a generation of uh, true believers, didn't mean that I was automatically affected by it. I mean, they did everything. I went from. From Cub Scout to Senior Scouts was in the Scouts, schools, Catholic schools. I mean, I mean they were great parents, great churches. I was at um, Cold Spring Baptist, great preachers. But when I when I had an opportunity to choose things for myself as a teenager, I desired the other side of life. I desired the life that was mysterious to me, the the world, and I was uh, absorbed into it. My first experience, of course, was. Um, peer pressure, trying to be popular and doing that thing. And in that endeavor to be popular, I ended up as a gang member. In high school, you kind of build up your social skills. You know, the cheerleaders hang with the cheerleaders, the jocks hang with the jocks, and so on and so forth. And there's it's eerie that that spirit is still in our schools today. And even more powerful now is even in, even in our adults, the millennial, they call them. Anyway, I stayed in that system of um, gang violence and um, graduated and became the leader of a gang, 5,000 Strongs in New York City. I'm originally from New York, and my father got wind of my um, activities, you know, drive-by shootings, all that, and he, he was old school. He brought you in this world. He'll take you out. I ended up, he ended up putting me in the military, and by that time, I was 16 and a half years old, had two children from sex, drugs, and rock and roll, you know, living that wild life, you know, all that's involved, even though it wasn't really 
was something that I had inclination or desire to do, but it was a part of being that gang member and showing off. And Vietnam was an ugly war, as you know. Went in there, and that wasn't no better. Got involved in black marketing, the criminal. It's a criminal element in the military. Got involved in that. I just kept learning and learning and learning how to escalate this criminal lifestyle. But my mother and father, they just kept praying, just kept praying, just kept believing God. And years are going by. I'm getting older. And they're still standing on God's word. They're still being faithful to the church. And the more they pray, the worse I get. And so I get out of the military back in New York again, started getting connected with the mafia, the Gambino family, learned about organized crime, started dealing in massage parlors, prostitution, human trafficking. And with that, all that other stuff comes involved, you know, gun smuggling, counterfeit money, and begin to travel. I said, well, I'm going to be making money. I want to invest a little bit in myself. Ended up in the military instead of going finishing high school. I had already had a taste of travel, so I started traveling the world with this um, in this lifestyle, this subculture. It's everywhere. Prostitution is everywhere. Drug addiction is everywhere. I mean, you don't even have to speak another language. It has its own language, its own subculture, and, and its own system. And, and I just thrived in it and grew in it and got absorbed in it and, and hypnotized by it. But prayer, the prayers of the saints, the Bible says the effectual prayer of a verbal man availeth much. I think we should get back to a people that prays effectually again, you know. I think a lot of us has lost our trust in prayer. A lot of us have lost our verbacy in prayer. You know, the old school saints, man, they would pray for hours a day. We did, we barely pray over our food, you know, but God is God is still faithful. He still listens. He still honors. He still sees. The longer the short of, you know, my father told me when I was young, he said, if you live by the sword, you shall perish by the sword. So all these years of going to Europe, going to Hong Kong, going to Japan, even end up in Amsterdam where prostitution and drugs is legal, went to Russia and all that kind of stuff, ended up at a place in that lifestyle where I wanted to be. I mean, through all everything I did, I finally ended up at the top of the food chain, so to speak. And I was connecting with so many syndicates in, in different parts of the world, Colombia, Amsterdam, China, Japan. Lived in Japan at that time. Was thinking about saving my citizenship. And one of my lieutenants in Denver, Colorado, called me, and he had found a Bible in a hotel room. You know, you, you see these things, you know, you see Bibles, you hear, you see hairy Christians at the airport. You, you know religion's around, but it, it doesn't mean anything. Because there's so much money. I mean, it's, it's money everywhere. And and you and it's yours. You control it. So even though you're getting these little hints that it might be something else, you don't see where it means anything to you or, or it applies to you. So when, when my lieutenant said he started reading the Bible, I was amazed. That was a curiosity. I said, man, don't read that thing. That thing will make you crazy. He said, well, why would you say that? I said, my whole family crazy. He said, man, it's talking to me. I said, that's the first sign of craziness. He said, no, it's talking to me about me and you in our life. I said, look, man, you got a deal with the Colombians today. Hey, just do the deal. We'll talk about this, this uh, religious stuff later. He told me, I'm, I'm going to find out who Jesus is. I quit. 
I couldn't believe it. It was just out of character. I mean, it was totally from left field. So I persuaded him to wait till I actually got back to the United States and and discuss it. But basically, I was I was going to do what I normally do and just get him to do the deal. So I jumped on a plane from from Tokyo, landed in um in the in the states, went to Denver, Colorado. He picked me up in his Rolls Royce and he said that that Bible with him. I said, "You brought it with you." He said, "Yeah, man. Look, I just wanted to show you what God is saying. You know, you said you got a Christian background. Tell me about God." He was from Haiti, so he was he, he was mostly only thing he saw religions was the the week of the dead, you know, the Spanish people do sometimes. And I said, um, man, I don't want to do that. And we go back and forth and back and forth and he's really, really pleading with me. I mean, he's just overwhelmed that God would talk to him, he's overwhelmed that the Bible opened up opened up to him so freely that he could actually understand and receive it. I mean, I didn't rec- I never really saw salvation like that. But even though I saw it, I didn't know what I was looking at. But he had got saved, and it didn't mean nothing to me. You know, I shunned it off. And, but he was my friend. I supposedly had cared for him, but I didn't. And um, got angry. Anyway, I went to complete the deal that he was supposed to complete. Went to the deal with the Columbians. And anyway, along with the Strumbians, they took out a 30 automatic and murdered me. I still have a bullet in my brain. One of my spine shot me twice in the face, stabbed me 16 times. They love the butcher people, you know, send a message, that kind of thing. And hid my body in the alley with all that money on me. You know, because when they, it, it, you know, they don't want people to think it's personal, it's emotional, it's always about business, you know, that kind of thing, that, that philosophy. Anyway, a car ran over me, and they discovered my body in that alley. And of course, the paramedics nine one one come. My friend that was all was out had the Bible. He guilt overwhelmed him. He goes back and retaliates, and he gets murdered. As he was trying to murder uh, the Colombian guys that murdered me, uh, six police officers showed up. He ended up shooting six police officers. He ended up getting shot and and died. So both of us in, in the hospital, Denver General Hospital, in the morgue. Okay. They find him before they find me. Finally, uh, five five hours later, you know, paramedics come. Pronounce me dead on arrival. They get me to the hospital. The prostitutes, some of the prostitutes come down to identify my body, that kind of thing. And one of the prostitutes had my mother's number. So, like, everything should be called a coincidence, but it's not. God, all things work together for the good. To them who love God and to them who are called according to his purpose. My mother loved God. And she knew the purpose of God. And even though I didn't know the purpose of God, or I had no love in my heart for anyone, and couldn't love God because I didn't believe in him, God still moved on my behalf. And she prayed over the telephone. As the doctor was telling her they needed permission to perform an autopsy, to get the bullet out of my brain, out of my spine for evidence, so they can put these uh, murderers in prison for murdering me. She said, my son is not dead. Let me pray. Now, the doctors assured it was, it was nonsense, you know. I mean, they've been in, he said, I've been a doctor for over 40 years. This is not my first rodeo. Dr. Denver is known for having one of the top trauma units in the United States. Your son is dead. There's nothing human possible to do your son. You understand that, Mrs. Reed? My mother said, you may have been a doctor for over 40 years, but God's been God forever. And my son is not dead. Let me pray for my son. And my mother began to pray. I'm in Denver. She's in New York. 
Not on the cell phone. You know, that's, we got to test somebody's landline. Thank God a call probably would have dropped. It was landline. And by her night stand, no crocodile tears, no emotional nothing. Just, Lord, remember thy handmaid. God is not a man that he should lie. The son of man that he should repent. If he said it, it is so. If he spoke it, it shall come to pass. Your word said it is impossible for God to lie. That your word will not become come back to you void, but will accomplish and prosper wheresoever you send it. And my son shall be saved. And as she was petitioning God, standing on the word, believing in God, not believing in emotion, not believing in in panicking, just trusting in the Lord. One of her favorite scriptures was trusting the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. And in that acknowledgement that God was, was her master, the primary life source of her life, life came back into me. But the doctors didn't believe her. I mean, I didn't just, they, they cut me open. I still have the autopsy scars. A lot of times I have to show people because, you know, people think what you see is what you believe. But once you see it, you don't need to believe it. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not believed. But to help the doubtful, to help the critic, to help the unbelief, I still have these scars, the death scar. And I've seen millions and millions and millions come to Christ. But Christ knew that before I was born. He gave my mother that prophetic word at 17. But look what I had to go through. 28 years of prayer. I had to die, and I actually went to hell. If you don't know God, don't die. Everybody, sometimes people want to know about hell. Um, there's not enough time to even explain it, but just don't go. It's horrific. Anyway, I came back to life, and um, I didn't change. Miracles don't save you. You must be born again. We all are loved by somebody. We all, people have prayed for us. People have, we, have, we have tried to change. We have done so many things um, to try to improve, you know, feel good about ourselves, cosmetic, lose weight, eat right, be around the right people, go to the right church, do the right thing. That is not it. It's an encounter with God. You must meet. He, he's available. And this is why I cry out for humanity. They fail to see that it's important that you meet Jesus. Thank God we got churches. Thank God we got books. I'm writing a book. I have a book now. When you're down to nothing, God is up to something. Oh, that is great that we put our witness and our testimony out there. But for the individual, you got to come to the well and drink. You have to. He's there. He's here now. He's, if you, he's in the sounding of my voice. He's in the room with you now. He's in the car. He's there with you now. As you're jogging down the street, just take a moment and open your heart up to him. And, man, he'll manifest. It'll blow your mind. I get raised from the dead, experience him, come back to life. I have the all types of my Bible. I have the doctor's report, dead on arrival. And I go right back to the world for three more years. Drugs, prostitution, violence. Then touch three years later, December 27, 1989, 1145. And another drug deal, having a drug party. It was a couple of days before Christmas and New Year's. So we were going to party all the way to New Year's. 
because I wanted to be, I wanted to get so high I was going to be the first astronaut in that new year. And Jesus comes to the party. He wasn't even invited. His presence was so strong. One of the prostitutes named Lisa felt the present. Now, I don't know nothing. I'm still human, still oblivious that I have a spirit. I'm just soulless and fleshless. I forgot my other dimension, the top of the food chain, is that we're also spirit. But our spirit has been severed from the mind of God, from the relationship with God, from the reality of who we really are. We're not human beings trying to have a spiritual experience. We're spirits having a human experience. And that humanness has shut us off from where we come from, from who we are. Man is searching from where he comes from. He's looking to the stars. He's looking to the little green men. He's looking, he's looking for, maybe I came from a frog. He's looking everywhere. And we look for love in all the wrong places. And it's right there on Calvary, on the cross. Right there, that sacrifice. Right there, there it is. And I experienced that in that crack house, in that drug room. You know, Lisa, she she freaked out anyway, long and short of it. For some reason, I prayed for him. And when I prayed, he answered. And everybody, every prostitute, every drug dealer, drug fiend, everybody, every heartbeat, every soul in that room was born again, baptized in the Holy Ghost. Oh, that was, I ain't going to never forget that moment. I have little moments like that to remind me that he's still powerful. But that moment was special because I was such a sinner. And I was so corrupt, so dark, so blind. And he opened my eyes and, I mean, it was a corporate encounter with God. We all saw him. I mean, what a privilege, what a blessing. Not just to feel like you don't even, you can't even got nobody to share it with you, you got nobody to talk with it. Because sometimes when you have spiritual experiences, you don't want to tell nobody because you feel crazy. But we, we, everybody in the room felt that. But we all had a witness that it was true. So powerful. He said angels, which was the Honolulu Peace Month that's happened in Waikiki and Hawaii, was having a party on the islands, was partying. But the police became my angels to snatch us out of that development for a time and have been saved, saved, saved ever since. And my life is wonderful now. I do so much work for the Lord, so many missions filled. He, he's helping me to redeem the time. You know, um, he's a revivalist. Revive thyself in the midst of thy youth. In the book of Habakkuk. He's letting me revive my years through working for him, through serving him. Sharing the testimony. The testimony is powerful. And I desire everybody has a testimony. Whoever has encountered God, as a testimony, matter of fact, I'm in the process of writing another book, The Power of a Testimony. For we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. I may have may have given you a little prelude or just um, gave you a little teaser, but please, you can go to my website. I have videos. You can order a DVD about me. There's so many literatures. I've been on television, so many talk shows. You can Google me. And um, I can come to your church, I can come to your Bible study, come to your high school, your college, wherever, and um, minister, but it's all about Jesus. I lift up his name. And even if you need to use me as a, a reference point, you can see the autopsy scar. Thank you for this time. Like I say, the, the half has not been told. 
And if you have questions, you can contact the radio station. They can connect you with my website. We can pray for you. But I want to say a prayer before we conclude, if I can. If you have heard anything, and believe me, when I was in that room, I mean, it was it was ugly. One of the guys that used some of my heroin and actually died, actually OD. It was horrible. Death, prostitution, broken hearts, broken dreams, violence, manipulation. I mean, it was full-blown criminal, sinful, demonic realm, and we enjoyed it. And Jesus spoke to me then. If he spoke to me then, he'll speak to you now. If he spoke to me over there, he'll speak to you right where you're at. If he spoke to me, who's nothing, chief of sinners, surely he'll speak to you. Father, I just ask right now, in the sounding of my voice, use my voice, use my vocal cords as a contact point for them to know the real Jesus, the real Savior. Touch their hearts, O God, by the Spirit, by the Holy Ghost, God. God, open their eyes that they may see. Open their ears that they may hear. Remove the stony heart and put a heart with your statutes and precepts. Touch their minds and write your laws upon their mind. Give them the mind of Christ, O oh God. God, if you don't do it, it won't get done. It's not by the will of the flesh or the will of man. It's by the will of your spirit. Not by might, nor by power, but by thy spirit, saith the Lord. And I am so confident. You made me confident in your word. For your word does not return void. It does accomplish and prosper wherever you send it. So we send it for the word of salvation. We send it for the word even for the backslider. We call it a man. Even if you need a healing in your body. What is easier, Jesus said, to say pick up thy bed and walk? Or say thy sin not forgiven? Get, get the full package. Get the triple threat. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. And be healed from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. Appreciate you. Thank you for spending a little time with me. And may the Lord receive bless you and all your labors. Sean Weed, he is going to share with you about his testimony about actually dying and going to hell. And then coming back. And what he saw and and you know, what he needs to basically explain to you because, uh, and I, I really agree right here where Sean is, is, um, you know, a similar type testimony happened to me when I was younger and I don't want to see anybody go to hell. I don't want to see it, you know, even your worst enemies, you don't want to see them go there. So welcome, Sean. Uh, thank you for having me on, Todd. And, Sean, if you want to start anywhere in your interview, go right ahead, and we'll see where it goes. Okay. Um, well, for those out there listening, my name is Sean Weed. Um, I grew up in Louisiana and um, joined the Marine Corps when I was 19, and roughly when I was about 22 years old, I actually um, um, got killed. I guess there's no other way to say it. Um, I died while I was in the Marine Corps. And, um, and obviously you're, uh, you're listening to me now. So I obviously came back, you know, it's kind of like watching a movie of the Titanic or something, you know, how it's going to end the boat's going to sink, but, you know, <laughs> but, um, this is, uh, this is basically my story. And for those of you out there who are listening, uh, I hope you can, you know, take this with a grain of salt because, uh, it's, it's kind of a hard testimony to take, you know, because not many people actually get to die and come back. 
I was uh, one of the few lucky ones to actually be able to do that outside of an operating room. I said, I'll sit there and tell you that I was clinically dead for eight minutes, but I wasn't in a clinic. <laughs> you know, this is basically my story. Uh, at the age of 22 years old, I had uh, went from North Carolina, where I was uh, stationed at Camp Lejeune as an artillery marine. And uh, we traveled to California, 29 Palms, California, and more specifically, this uh, tiny little uh, base camp called Camp Wilson out in the middle of 29 Palms. You get out in the middle of that desert and, uh, you know, they, they've got to have a central point at some at some location, but that was the uh, the name of the location that we were at. And at that time, um, they had not built the uh, high-speed uh, little um, domes that they have now. They have concrete pads with uh, um, metal domes that, you know, can um, actually with heat and cold expand and contract. But uh, in that day and age that I was back there in um, 1994, uh, they had A-frames, which are made of basically two-by-fours and um, um, sheet metal tin, or like a tin roof, I guess you could say. And um, I was hanging out with my buddies inside this uh, little tin roof on a more or less like a vacation now, basically, the way that it works out and um, with artillery is we go to training for what's called CACS, or Combined Armed Exercise, so C-A-X. And we just call it CACS 3-4-94 or whatever it is, you know, and that's that was the exercise that we were on. Um, we got there in um, March the 4th of 94, CACS, you know, hence the term 3-4-94. And um, we were supposed to stay for roughly a month and a half. Now, we would train for three weeks. We would go on a little four-day hiatus or a little, you know, intermittent pause in between and then go for another three weeks with a different training uh, unit that, that would uh, fly back and forth. And I'm, I'm basically hanging out with my buddies. During those four days when the one group of Marines come, you know, and basically they're their infantry element that uh, – comes we'll have uh one entire unit come and stay for three weeks and train with us and then they'll fly back and then during those four days another unit will come a completely separate uh, infantry element will come out there and join us fresh from the ground where we're you know three weeks into it and they're for them it's day one you know but um then we'll train for another three weeks and then we'll fly back and everything that we own goes back by train you know so it comes out there by train goes back by train um, but the, the, the troops, the artillery troops and the infantry troops fly by plane. So anyway, we're in that little three or four day hiatus. Our artillery commander gets out there and he tells us, you can either go to Vegas. I don't know, I forgot what it's Disneyland, I think it is. So you can either go one of those two packages for three days. And I didn't have any money, so I wasn't going anywhere. And uh, neither was the two guys that were with me. So after everyone had left, me and my buddies were just hanging out inside this A-frame. And um, one of them, Corporal Laycock, you know, Corporal Jason Laycock, he uh, he was S2 intelligence officer. And at that time, I guess I was technically part of the S3, which was kind of like a command control for artillery. Um, but anyway, uh, Corporal Laycock was basically showing us some pictures. Now, he worked very closely with a naval officer. And that was his only companion out there out in the field is, you know, with being in intelligence, he always had to travel from point to, you know, point to point. But he would go very close to the impact area and take pictures of 
you know, the explosions that had gone off. He was showing us the pictures that he had taken from a roll of film that he had developed out of a disposable camera. We were just like, wow, man, how did you get these? How did you get that close? And he's like, I drove up into the impact area. And we're like, what? You know, you, you lost it. If you lost your mind, not even the infantry goes that close. He's like, yeah, I know. And I was like, man, you could have got shot up. You could have got blown up. You know, what's wrong with you? And he's like, eh. I was like, how did you convince the, the naval officer to even let you go out there? And he's just like, man, I just told him we're doing it and we're doing it. You know, and that was it. You know, and I'm just like, wow, okay. You know, this guy was, uh, he was extremely, uh, you know, you know, everybody always has jokes about intelligence officers not being so intelligent, you know, but this guy, he was very, very intelligent. I once battled him in a, uh, in a simulation um, where he played Russia and I played the United States and he spanked my pants right off me. You know, at the end, because our, a lot of people don't know this, but <laughs> Russian artillery outrange is just bad. You know, at the end, it almost came down to a draw, but he still won. But this guy, he was brilliant. He could, he was a tactician. He could, he could fight like there was uh, no other like it was just second nature to him, but he understood the enemy better than I did. He was uh, he was very, very intelligent. I mean, just on a level that, you know, would make me seem like a simpleton. But anyway, he was showing us these pictures. He pulls out the camera that he was taking them with, and he, it's one of those wind-up disposable cameras. And he looked at it, and he only had like two or three pictures left. So he's like, we're like, man, they're like, you have any more? And he's like, yeah, on this roll of film, but I still have two more, un, you know, two more pictures I need to take. And I'm like, okay, well, take them and let's go, you know, let's go down and get them developed so we can see them, you know, because we, you know, he showed us and we were left wanting more, you know. Um, basically, he, you know, he took one picture. He's like, get off, get off, you know, get off my rack, which is this little green cot, um, folding cot that we used to sleep on. And uh, he had his Alice pack and his sea bag boots and everything else he owned beneath that cot and he was like you know because he came from a uh an upper crust family i guess you could say a silver spoon type kid you know who was always pampered you know just decided to join the military to to tick off his parents i guess he did it at a, I guess, a point of rebellion but he wanted to prove that he was tough because this he was actually very skinny and he wasn't a timid guy but he was not a, a when you would think of the word nerd. I mean, he pretty much fit it. He wasn't a masculine guy, you know. He was about 125 pounds, soaking wet, uh, pretty tall. He was like five ten, five eleven. You know, not a bad looking guy, but just skinny. You know, basically he, uh, you know, he took a picture of his rack and he's like, "Get off this!" They're never going to believe how we, you know the con you know the conditions that we live in. You know, because it was just a sand floor and. You know, he looked at, look at the inside of it. The inside of the, the apron looked like a barn. You know, it was like 100 feet long and, you know, 40 feet wide. And, you know, basically the ceilings just sloped down till they almost touched the ground. And literally the, the ceiling was about a foot off the ground on each side of the, 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 uh, the A-frame. And that's why they call it an A-frame, because the roof came all the way down to the ground. You can literally walk up the side of it. He, he had one picture left, and he goes, man, this has got to be a good one because I don't like to waste film. You know, and we're like, come on, man, just take a picture. And uh, someone had tied a 13-knot noose out of hay rope. And a lot of people don't know what hay rope is, but it's a really, really cheap rope um, that we use to tie down our vehicles with. We throw all the equipment on our vehicles, tie it down, and then put those vehicles on the train to, to come over to uh, California. It's a whole embarking process, but this hay rope is really cheap. It's not something like, uh, you know, you would see for, in a rodeo. They have nice waxed ropes that slide very easily. 
you know, once you rope something, it just slides. You know, the only way that you can, you know, literally keep it uh, sliding is on your saddle to wrap it around the horn of the saddle. And, well, anyway, anyway, um, the sprig sticking out from this rope, little sprigs of hay. You know, because like I said, it's a hay rope. And um, it doesn't slide very easily. So when someone had gotten bored and tied a 13-night noose and uh, hung it from one of the rafters, nobody really cared. It wasn't like anybody was going to hang themselves from it. And it was basically hanging about a foot and a half off the ground, the noose itself. And the noose itself was so big, you could literally, like, fit a body inside of it. You know, it was literally like, you know, a three-foot circumference. So nobody was going to sit there and hang themselves from this rope. It was practically impossible. You know, so when someone had tied it in boredom and just hung it from the rafter, no one cared. Nobody paid any attention. They just kind of, like, went around it, knocked it out of the way with their hand, whatever. <laughs> you could tell the lights went on when he saw this rope because he got this look in his eyes. And I've seen this look before, and it was like one of those, you know, redneck moments where, you know, they're like, hey, watch this, you know. And <laughs> next thing you know, you know, there's a whole lot of trouble that follows it, you know. But uh, he gets this look in his eyes, and I'm just like, oh, man. <laughs> Uh, you know, I'm seeing him looking at this rope, and he goes, I got an idea. I'm like, oh, boy, what is it? And he's like, this is going to look pretty cool. You know, it's like, have you ever seen where, you know, people, like, hold their hand up to the sun, and it looks like they got the, the, the sun in their hand, you know, when you take the picture, or they're, like, look like they're leaning on a building or something, holding up a rock or something, you know, something like that, you know? I'm like, yeah. yeah. He's like, he says, uh, he goes, why don't you go over there and put your head in this noose and then, you know, let your arms dangle down and then I'll take a picture from your waist up and it'll actually look like you're hanging because of the way that I'm going to take the picture, you know, it's not going to be like a, you know, you're not going to see the whole body. You're just going to see it from the waist up, you know, so it's going to really look like you're hanging. And I'm like, well, I guess that's a, you know, not a bad idea. You know, I'm like, I'm looking at the rope. I'm like, this, what could possibly go wrong? You know, what could possibly happen? You know, this is going to make for a good picture. I didn't see it, but the other corporal that was in the room, Corporal Page, he was a uh, S1 administration guy. He hardly ever went out to the field when we did. So he was constantly in the gym working out. You know, he had really had nothing to do, no life. So, I mean, he was constantly pumping out. He was like a little Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, I mean, just. This this kid was ripped, full of muscle, and uh, probably about 5'8", 180 pounds, and probably about 3% body fat, 4% body fat. I mean, it was ridiculous. This 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 guy was just, you know, ripped up. And I didn't see the light go on in his eyes, but he got an idea from off of the other guy's idea. And he basically went and whispered in a couple Laycock's ear. I couldn't hear what he was saying, but couple Laycock then looked at him, you know, kind of get this gleam in his eyes. And he says, hey, why don't you... Uh, he goes, he goes, no, that's not the way that it goes. He goes, if I buy, you fly. And he takes his wallet out. And that's a common thing with Marines. You know, if you're broke, another person has money, you, they'll give you money, but you have to go get them what they want, and then you can get something with, with what's left over. You know, it's called I buy, you fly. And that happens all the time, you know, like, you know, hey, I don't want to, I'm too lazy to go get a pizza, but I have 10 bucks here. Take 10 bucks and go get a pizza and we'll share it. You know, something simple like that. And he's like, if I buy, you fly. You know, he's like, I'm not going to, you know, sit there and pay and go get it myself. So he takes 10 bucks out of his wallet, puts it in the guy's hands, and he kind of like, he looks confused for a little bit. And then he goes, oh, okay. And he, he just trots off, you know, and goes out the door. I didn't see exactly, 
I, I, I knew it was something something up, but I couldn't, you know, I knew there was something weird with, you know, this little transaction between them. You know, I was reading their faces and I was like, what the heck is going on here? But I couldn't figure it out. You know, and then he finally goes, okay, dude. He goes, I'm ready to take a picture. And, you know, the couple page had left and he kneeled down and he goes, oh, man, the you know, the battery's out. So he goes over there, he replaces the battery in the camera and then um, kneels down to uh, take a picture again. He's basically sitting there giving me instruction, and he's talking really, really fast. He's like, okay, now cock your head to the left. Let's stick your tongue out, blah, 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 blah. And as he's talking, and as he's giving me instructions, he's more like, let your arms dangle. Let your tongue, you know, cock your head slightly to the side and stick your tongue out and do this and do that. And I, what I didn't realize what was going on was is he was talking so fast that to hide the sound of Corporal Page sneaking up behind me because he one of the things he actually said, if you're dead, close your eyes, you know? I got my eyes closed, and then I can't. You know, I didn't notice the the light fluctuation in the room when he opened the door behind me because the A-frame has two doors, one on each end. You know, it's like a barn, long barn with a door on each end. And he went out the one door in front of me and then came around behind me and came in the door behind me while I was sitting there with my eyes closed. And he's giving me all these instructions and he's using his voice to cover up the, the footsteps of him sneaking up behind me in the sand. I can't even hear the footsteps coming up behind me. And, you know, my eyes were closed, but I didn't notice the, the change of light in the room. And then all of a sudden, you know, I had just exhaled and he stuck up behind me and grabbed this knot of the, on the rope and slammed it down around my neck. Now, when he did that, it was just immediately, you know, I couldn't breathe in and it, it, it just caught me by complete surprise. So I just stood up. You know, and I open my eyes, and they're just kind of like, you know, laughing, like, yeah, I got you, stupid. You know, and I'm just like, oh, man, you know, and I'm like, you know, but this thing, even though I'm standing up, this thing is still choking me, you know, and it's like I got all this slack dangling down from my neck towards my knees and then back up towards the rafter because, there's, like I said, this thing was long. This rope was long, and, you know, like, like literally when it was just sitting there, you could put your foot in it and almost stand up on it, you know. You only have to lift your foot up about six inches to put your foot in the noose. And then once you put your foot in the noose, you can literally, if the two by four would hold you, you could stand up on it. So it wasn't like it's going to slide down and, you know, catch around your feet. You literally had to move it with the, the, the knot on the noose with your hands. So he grabs this knot and he slams it down around my neck. Now, like I said, I just stood up and I was just in, you know, just shock, you know, so I was like, whoa, I can't breathe in. And I look at them. They're just like, you know, laughing at me. And I'm like, you know, they had seen me do stuff before because I'm a big guy. I'm roughly six one, and right now I'm I'm like 270 pounds. Uh, yeah, I'm a little bit fat, you know, right now, but I'm still strong as I ever was. You know, I can still lift 400, 500 pounds. And they've seen me do that before. You know, I just pick up something that weighs 400 pounds like it's nothing. Seen me do like pick up generator trailers and pick up you know just trailers full of equipment and just you know turn it around on my own. You know, something that would take three or four other men to do. They see me do that. So when they saw me stick my, you know, when they spun this thing down around my neck, they were like, ah, he'll get out of it. You know, I know that's what they were thinking, you know, because he's just, you know, stupid strong. You know, he's got like retarded strength, you know. So it's like they, you know, they, they saw me and I, you know, but the thing was, is the thing was so tight around my neck that it was literally, even though I had all this slack off the rope, it was literally like someone had grabbed me around the neck and was choking the life out of me, choking me so hard that I could not breathe in, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking at him and I realized, you know, Hey, I only have about eight seconds. 
So I jammed the finger into this end of this rope, trying to get, you know, some kind of hold on this rope because I, I, I grabbed the knot and tried to pull and it wasn't going anywhere, you know? So I tried to grab a finger, you know, get a finger inside the, 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 the rope that's around my neck and try to pull on the knot, you know, so I can get some kind of leverage on it. And I actually ended up scratching my neck from how tight this thing was around my neck. I had to forcing another finger in there was just making it squeeze tighter against my neck. And I actually ended up scratching my neck literally, you know, with my fingernail, just trying to get a finger in there. And I got one finger in there and I'm like, okay, let me grab this knot and pull on it. And I did that and it did not move at all. You know, one thing that you don't realize about a, a, a noose is that the, the the rope comes in and out through the same spiral of knots, you know, through the same spiral. And once it comes down from where it's coming, it goes left and around your neck and then back up through, you know. So literally, if you it's in an L shape, once it hits your neck, it's in an L shape. And that's what makes the, the rope so effective is that the only way that you can get this rope off is to literally straighten the rope out, which means you have to turn your neck sideways and straighten that rope out to get it to slide through. You know, if it's in an L shape going down through 13 knots and then all of a sudden it makes a quick left, you know what I'm saying? There's no way to get it off of your neck. There is no climbing up the rope and then, you know, I'll get this thing off of me. Even if you were able to, you know, have the strength to climb the rope, you know, to pull the rope up with your hands, you would still not be able to get it off your own neck. And I didn't realize this. I was just like, I'll just grab, grab this knot and pull, you know, didn't work. You know, so I was just like, okay, let me stick another finger in there. So I stuck another finger in there and I, you know, I realized I only have seconds left. So I literally closed my eyes, gritted my teeth and pulled for all I was worth, you know, used my ultimate strength and my last, you know, my last big effort, one big shot to get out of this rope. Now, as a kid, I'd done stupid stuff like stick my hair, my head through like the rails, you know, of a, of a stairwell, you know, you know, the, you know, the little rods that come down and you stick your head in there and you get your head stuck, you know, do stupid stuff like that when you're like two or three years old, you know, and I'd racked my ears, you know, pulling my head out of something like that. I was expecting that same feeling, you know, when you rack your ears and all of a sudden they just turn beet red and they, you know, they burn. You know, I was expecting that kind of feeling when I got out and a little less, you know, kind of, it's like when I, when I gritted my teeth and pulled on this thing, I kind of like fell forward. And when I fell forward, I stepped like two steps. And then that was the first thought was, is, you know, hey, I got out. Awesome. You know, I was like, yes. You know, and I was like, all the effort was worth it. But wait a minute. You know, why are my ears burning? And then one of the guys looked at me and he goes, ah, and he's like, he, he you know, makes this motion like, ah, like, ah, he's just messing. You know, I'm just like, look at him like, I don't like saying this, but I literally ha I had a few choice words for him that, you know, shouldn't be repeated. And I flipped in the middle finger, you know, I was like, you know, F you. And, you know, they just both turned around and went and sat down. And I was like, man, that's messed up. You know, I, I literally thought, I was like, man, that's messed up. You know, I like went over there and sat beside them. And then one started telling the other one the story. Corporal, Corporal Page started telling uh, Corporal Laycott this story about how the last time he went back from combined arms exercise, how he um, went to meet his girlfriend at the nightclub and he was wearing a tuxedo and a pair of bear shoes and he slid across the dance floor and gave her a dozen roses. And I'd heard this story before. It's like his only story. You know, so I was just sitting there listening and Corporal Laycock was like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And he's like, can I have a bite of that, you know, ho-ho, which is, you know, like a little Debbie snack cake. He's like, give me a bite of that ho-ho. And he's like, 
he's like, no. And he keeps telling a story and he's eating his ho-ho and licking his fingers, you know, and making it seem like it's the best tasting thing in the world. You know, Adam, they're not that great. He's sitting there eating his ho-ho and, you know, telling his story. And meantime, he's teasing him the whole time and a couple of laycocks, you know, just placating him and, you know, basically being facetious. And he's sitting there like, yeah, 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 whatever, you know, you know, can I have a bite of the ho-ho now? You know, yeah, 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 whatever. Can I have a bite of the ho-ho now? You know, and just kept bugging him and bugging him and bugging him. And finally, at the, when he gets to the end of the story, he finally was like, okay, here, have one. And he takes open this, he grabs underneath his rack because the racks were side by side. You know, the corporal slept in one section, the sergeant slept in one section, and then, you know, everybody else who, you know, didn't have any rank basically slept by the door where you freeze, you know, <laughs> especially during the nighttime. He basically reaches underneath his uh, his little cot, his little green folding cot, and he pulls out this brown paper bag, unrolls the top of it, and then inside of it is a plastic aphids bag. And anybody who knows what, uh, who's ever been on the military, you know, knows what the APHES bag is. You know, it's the, uh, the, the APHES store is the, basically the, the own, ba- it's like a little Benny Mart, it, it, I guess you could say, you know, where you go and pick up whatever you wanted, you know, whatever you needed, razors and soap and shampoo and food and whatever else you needed, like a little Benny Mart, kind of like a 7-Eleven, you know, but he has this plastic APHES bag full of just like, you know, I literally like leaned forward, looked inside the bag and he has like, three or four Gatorades and he has all kinds of hostess, Twinkies, Debbie snack cakes. I mean, just all different kinds, just, you know, all littering the bottom of the bag. And I'm like looking down there and I'm like, man, and he's like, he's like, he's like, dude, speaking of that, you still have my 10 bucks. And he's like, yeah, I do. Here you go. And he has some 10 bucks back. And I'm like, looking at him like, man, that is messed up. You know, while he's telling this story, like I said, it takes about five, you know, a couple of I mean, a couple of pages, about five minutes to tell the story. And three times during while he's telling the story and the other one's trying to agitate him and to give him, you know, a bite of his snack cake, he leans to the left, or excuse me, his right, my left. He leans to his right. He looks me right in the face and then, you know, sits back up and starts talking again. Then he leans back over about two minutes into his story and he looks me right in the face again and leans back up and starts talking again. Then uh, after about five minutes, he leans to the left as he's finishing up the story and goes, fine, I'm like, here, have one. You know, and he, he takes one out of the bag and he tosses it to him. And he's like, thanks, man. It's about time. You know, because he literally like ate the last bite. And he's like, dude, I can't believe you didn't give me. He's like, here, have one. You know, and he talks to someone, you know, tosses him an entire package. And then he leans over, looks me right in the face, and he goes, I don't think he's playing. And I'm like, what the heck is he talking about? Who is he? You know, because we're the only three in the room. You know, and why is he... You know, I kept like, wow, how is he leaning over and looking me in the face? You know what I'm saying? Basically, he was trying to look around the side of uh, Corporal Laycock. Corporal Laycock was blocking his view of my body hanging behind me. And me sitting beside them, I was literally in the spirit. I was like a, like a ghost. They couldn't see me. They couldn't hear me. And I was sitting right beside them. So when he said, hey, you know, I think he's playing, he was looking me in the face. But he could. I realized later that he couldn't see me. You know, he was looking through me and at my body hanging in the news. So I was just like, what the heck is he talking about? We're the only three in the room. I'll turn around. And myself and Corporal Laycock turn around at the same time. And I look, and there's my body hanging from the news. And that was the first time I saw my body. Because like like I said, when I had come out of my body, I fell forward. I didn't think to turn around look to see if I was, there was a dead body behind me, much less my own body. You know, it was like I fell forward. 
And then everybody who's in the room is in front of me. So why would I even turn around? You know, there's no reason to turn around. Everybody who's in the room is right in front of me. You know? So I was like, nah, I went over and sat beside him. And, like, this whole thing transpired. And then all of a sudden, he's like, hey, well, he's playing. And I, like, turn around. And there's my body hanging from the noose. And I'm like, whoa, that's me. You know? I literally, I was shocked. I still have not turned around. And there's my body, like, 30 feet away hanging from the noose. And I was like, oh, I was just looking at myself. And I don't even know what to say. I'm just like, oh, jeez. <laughs> that's that's me, you know. And I like I like literally kind of like take a few steps, and I kind of like come out from between the racks and like take you know walk like ten feet just to confirm that it makes my eyes not that great, you know. And I uh, take another ten steps closer to the body, and yeah, there's my body hanging from the noose. I'm like, you know, I'm just like, holy cow, you know, this is <laughs> this is horrible, you know. And then Corporal Laycock comes and he stands beside me. He still got the, the 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 camera in his hand. He never took the picture. And then he kneels down right beside me. Like I said, he couldn't even see me. I was, he was literally like right to my left. He comes and leans and kneels down right beside me and goes, "Now that's a good picture." And then he takes the picture of my body hanging from the noose. And I'm just looking at him like, "Dude, are you freaking mental? Are you stupid?" You know, what, what are you thinking? You know, and that's what I was thinking is what Corporal Page came up and said to him. He literally looked at him and the thoughts that I was thinking came out of his mouth. He's like, dude, are you retarded? Look at him. He goes, he, he said, look at him. He's dead. That's just a body hanging there. He's like, his eyelids are blue. His lips are blue. His ears are blue. He has drool hanging out of his mouth all the way to the ground. Can't you see? He goes, what are you talking about? He stands up. He's still, like I said, like 20 feet away from the body. He takes, you know, a couple, he takes another couple more steps, like three or four steps, and he's another 10 feet closer. And he goes, oh, my God. And he like, throws the he throws the camera over towards his right. He didn't even look where he was throwing it. He just chucks it. You know, and he runs over there, and he grabs my body around the, the waist, and he picks up. Now, remember I said this, like I said at that time, I was like 210 pounds and just strapped, you know, big six foot one guy and he's trying to he's like 125 pounds trying to pick up this 200 pound guy and his his veins are bulging out of his head you know and he like literally like kind of flops my body over the side and he goes stupid get over here and get him out of the news well he didn't say stupid he said he said a few curse words well like i said i'm not going to repeat but he he said beep, 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 beep. you know you get what the beep is you know get over here and get this noose off his neck and I'm thinking to myself, this should be backwards. This strong guy should be picking up my body while the weak guy should be getting the noose off my neck. You know, and that's just my thought, you know, while I was standing there looking at this. And <laughs> the weird thing about it was is the only way that it could have happened to where they would have got me out of the noose is the way that it did happen. He had to be picking up on my body, you know, to let there be some slack in the thing. And if I couldn't get the, the rope off, then I know for sure that Laycock couldn't have gotten the rope off. He was only 125 pounds, you know, skinny, skinny as a, as a piggy finger, you know. And Corporal Laycock, I mean, Corporal Page runs over there, and he does the same thing I does. He literally, you know, shoves a finger in there, you know, one finger, and he thinks with one finger he can get it loose. Same thing I thought, you know, and... It, it didn't work for him. You know, he struggles and he's like, dude, put two fingers in there. You need more leverage. 
And so he shoves another finger in there. I'm just thinking to myself, well, I'm glad I'm just standing here because if that was me alive, I'd be hurting. You know, I'd be one hurting puppy. And while they're sitting there struggling with, with my body and trying to get this off, I thought to myself, you know what? I want to try to step into my body and uh, stand up. <laughs> when I did that, I literally tried that. I, I literally went forward and tried to step into my body. And it was uh, the, the most uh, – I've never gotten the idea of vertigo, you know, where people who have a fear of heights goes up, you know, and they, they climb up real high and all of a sudden everything's spinning. That's what it was like, only multiplied times 100. It literally felt like someone had slugged me in the side of my head because when I tried to step into my body, it was just like – it was like a battery just running out of energy, going from 100% down to zero, just woo, you know, and I literally I, – I, kind of fell backwards, you know, stumbling backwards out of my body. And it felt like somebody just gave me a kidney shot, you know, like, bow, hit you from behind and right in the kidney. I mean, just like, boo. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I'm literally bent over, holding my knees, going, oh, my God, what was that? You know, and I'm just like, that was not good, you know. And it was at that point that I became concerned. I wasn't even concerned before. I was freaked out, but not concerned, I was like, I was like, I start trying to think, think to myself. I'm like, think, think, think. Okay, maybe that weird thing just happened because uh, they were moving my body around and I couldn't get in. You know, I was like, okay, okay, now just wait until they, you know, get you out. You know, wait until they lay you down. Wait till you're still, and then try it. You know, and then Corporal Lake, like I said, got a. I mean, Corporal Page got another two fingers in that noose, and he pulled all he was worth, and he was able to get it to budge about half an inch. For all his strength, it only moved half an inch, but that was enough for him to get all four fingers in there. And then he pulled it, and it moved like three inches. He pulled it again, and after that third pull, he was just done. He was, it, I mean, he was just rent. I mean, he had no strength left in his arms. You could tell he was like jelly-armed from just trying to pull on that thing three times, you know. But he literally wasted all his strength, all his effort just to get my head out from underneath that, you know, my head out of that noose. But he did it. He was able to do it. And he got my head out of that noose. And they dragged my body over and they threw it onto the rack. They threw it onto my cot. And I'm just sitting there, you know, watching them, waiting for them to, you know, walking along with them while they're dragging my body. And they throw my body on the cot. And then a couple pages walking around going, oh, my God, dude. Oh, my God. What, what are we going to do, dude? We have to do something. We, no, we have to tell somebody. Uh, we have to do something. And Corporal Laycott's just sitting there, and he looks like the, he's standing up, and he looks like a thinker. You know what I'm saying? You've seen the statue of the thinker where the guy's sitting there with his you know, hand on his chin or, you know, maybe, you know, he's sitting there looking at it. He's going, uh, he, he's looking at it. He's like, shut up. I'm thinking. You know, I keep, you're breaking my concentration. And you could tell his mind was just, uh, there was basically smoke pouring out of his ear. He was like, he was thinking to himself, probably thinking like 50 thoughts a second, you know, like, what can we tell them? You know, what can we do to, to make this look legit? You know, you know, how do, how do we handle this? You know, because they realize they're in deep kimchi, you know, and he goes, man. And, you know, he's just sitting there and he's like, dude, we got to do something. He's just like, shut up. I'm thinking. And I'm like thinking to myself, okay, well, now it's my perfect opportunity. My body's not moving. I'm going to lay down into my body and just pop right back up and be like, dude, don't worry about it. It's all cool. You know, I'm alive. But, you know, so I literally sat down into my body, put my foot inside of my foot. You know, like I said, you know, it sounds weird. Put my foot inside my foot. My foot 
And I sat down to the rack and I saw my body was laying, how my hands were positioned. And I tried to position them like, like my body was laying. And then I laid back into my body and instantaneously, when I laid back into my body, I was standing up in this empty void. I mean, just that fast, fast as you can blink an eye, fast as you can snap a finger. I was standing back up and I was like, what the heck? Where am I? And that was the first thought that went to my head was like, where am I? You know, and I look out and it's just nothing but empty blackness. And I was, I, the next thought that came to my head was, after where am I? And I, there was not going to be an answer for that. I was kind of like, well, and I realized there's nothing. There's, there's just literally nothing in front of me. How is that? This this can't be possible. You know, I just, I just like, wait a minute. I'm standing on something. And I looked down at my feet. And I could see beneath my feet, and I was literally standing on nothing. And when I say I'm, I'm standing on something, but I can't see what I'm standing on. It was like the floor is invisible. And I'm like, wait a minute. How, if, I, if this place is an empty black void, how am I able to see, even see my feet? If I was in a, like a, a darkened room, I wouldn't be able to see my hand in front of my face. How am I able to see my feet? Where's this light coming from? So, I mean, where do you look for when there's light? It's always above you. Even if you're in your house, the light is above you. If you're outside, the light is above you. The sun, the moon, the stars. So I look up, and I look up, and there's nothing up there. You know, I look up, and it's just empty black void above me. Look down, empty black void beneath me. Look out in front of me, empty black void. I turn around, nothing around me but empty black void. And I'm like, you know, what, what, what is, you know, I'm just like, I'm just, Completely confused, you know, and I'm looking down and I, 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 you know, I, I even stomped to see like how strong this thing is that I'm standing on. And it was like standing on concrete, you know, only you couldn't see it, you know. So I look out and I'm like, man, I don't understand this. I'm like, I'm looking out and I don't see anything. So I'm like, well, wait a minute. And this is why I start rationalizing with myself. I say, okay, there's a floor. I can't see it, but there is a floor. And I'm like, maybe if there's a floor, maybe there's a ceiling, I just can't see it. So I'm like, I literally thought, you know what? I'm just going to reach my hand up and see if I can touch something above me. You know, so I literally went to reach my hand up. And I literally got my hand about six inches above my head. And I don't know how to explain this, but it was just like my consciousness or my soul expanded. I don't know how you, you could say it and make sense of it, but I literally, without having to touch the ceiling, knew that it was there without beyond a shadow of a doubt. You know, it's like, even if the ceiling is 10 feet above you, you can look up there with your eyes and see it. You know, without a shadow of a doubt, there's a ceiling 10 feet above your head. You know what I'm saying? You don't have to touch it to know it's real, but without physically touching it, I touched it. And it was just like the freakiest thing in the world. So I like kind of like, well, I was like, oh, and I like jerked my hand back down. You know, I was like, what the heck was that? You know, and I'm just like, there's a ceiling up there. It's literally 14 feet up, you know, and I know exactly how tall it is. You know, the ceiling from floor to ceiling was exactly 14 feet, zero inches, zero centimeters, zero millimeters, zero micrometers. No, just nothing. Just exactly 14 feet. And I was like, whoa, you know, it was just kind of like weird. You know, I was like, okay. And then the next thought in my, in my head was, wait a minute, there's a floor and there's a ceiling. Ceilings don't hold themselves up. Walls hold ceilings up. And if there's a wall, there's a window, there's a door, there's a way out. 
And that was my thought process. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go that direction because any direction in the middle of nowhere is as good as any. You know, you stand out in the middle of the desert, any direction is as good as any. You know, if you're just looking out and you see nothing but flat, flatness, just go. You know, and I'm like, I'm going to go that way. You know, and find me, a, find me a way out of this place. So I just started, I went to take a step forward. And as I'm taking a step forward, my, once again, this thing happened. It was just like taking a rubber band and you don't get it. Like if you, a rope doesn't stretch, but a rubber band does. You know, if you like cut a foot long rope and a foot long rubber band and put them side by side, one will stretch while the other one doesn't, <laughs> you know, and it was just, it was just like that. My soul, my consciousness just stretched out in the direction that I was wanting to go. And it literally, literally went like one football field, two football fields, three football fields, you know, and just stretched out that fast. Just boom. You know, it was kind of like I just went, but my back foot never left from where it was. Just like my front foot and my whole forward body just like stretched. And... And then I realized that it didn't matter how far I, I was going. All of a sudden, the, the understanding hit me that you're standing in between two parallel planes. There are no walls. There's no doors. There's no windows. There's just two parallel pain, planes that stretch on for infinity. You know, And there is no getting out of this place. And so I brought my foot back, and I stepped it down. And I stepped, set it down. It was just like snapping back. It was like kind of like let go of rubber bands and snap. You know, that's what I didn't have the feeling of that, but that's what it was like in my own mind. You know, I just put my foot down. And I was like, oh, man, I am so screwed. <laughs> and I just I just stood there and I kind of just, you know, my I, I just had the sinking feeling like, oh, man, there is no way out. And then the next thing I know, I'm snatched up off my feet and there's this racking pain coming from my left shoulder and my body is literally almost parallel to the floor and my legs are just kicking almost like there's this huge amount of electricity running through me you know and then I realized I had just gotten picked up and something had a hold of me and it was crushing me it was crushing my left shoulder you know so I'm like what the heck is holding me and I look down towards my left you know towards my left shoulder and I see these huge fingers coming down below my chest and these fingers they were huge I mean they were like two or three inches in diameter. I mean, just huge. And they were red and black. And I'm just looking at them like, I'm like, oh, my, what the heck is this? You know, and this pain, just pain, just shooting from the top of my head to the bottom of my foot. You know, and I'm like, look back over to my, over my right shoulder to see what has a hold of me. Because I can't even hardly look left because the, the, the width of its hand or the depth of its hand is about four inches. It was like, it was like having a post, a four, a four by four post sitting on your neck and you can't turn left because the post is right there you know so i look back over my right shoulder and this thing knew my thoughts it could hear my thoughts and i understood this in retrospect it knew that i was going to look at it so it had picked me up i look back over to my right shoulder and there's this huge face just staring at me and just smiling just grinning like yeah i got you and there's nothing you can do about it and it was a huge red and black 13 feet tall demon. And it was wrapped up like Arnold Schwarzenegger in his prime, or like Lou Ferrigno in his prime, you know, when back when he was doing the, you know, Incredible Hulk series, you know, raw, just huge, but 13 feet tall, you know? 
And I looked at him, and I was just like, it was, its face was like human, but not. You know, it had no hair on its body whatsoever. It had these tusks coming out where we had our canine teeth. It had tusks coming out of its mouth. Its nose was really flat and wide, almost as wide as its mouth. But other than that, it was human. You know, it had two eyes, one nose, one mouth, two ears. You know, it just didn't have any hair. You know, in its eyes. Its eyes were, our eyes are white, its eyes were yellow. And where we have an iris, like a round iris, you know, not the pupil that's black that dilates, you know, but the iris, the, the colored portion of the eye that's either green or, you know, brown or, or blue or whatever color your eyes are. Or, you know, that's the color that she, you know, the iris. Its iris was gold and it was diamond shaped like a cat's or like a snake's. You know, and it looked at me like, yeah, I got you. And there's nothing you can do about it. And, and it was just so ugly and disfiguring to me that I was just like, I, look, I just like looked away and I'm like, oh, man, I'm just, <laughs> I'm screwed. I'm hopeless. And then when I thought that, literally, I felt hope pour out of my body like water out of a cup. And it just, I literally, literally felt it from the inside, starting from my head, literally pour down past my eyes, past my ears, past my throat, past my arms, you know, past my waist and right out my feet. Just hope, just literally like a feeling like water just left me. You know, and I thought to myself, where am I going? Where's it taking me? And then the answer did come to me the same way the answer came to me of like, is there a ceiling up there? Yes, it's 14 feet. That same way is almost like remembering, but not because you never knew it in the first place, you know, but the same, the, the, the answer came to me as almost as if I had remembered. Well, God placed the answer in my head, and the answer was, yes, it's taking you to the hell. The hell that you were taught as a Baptist about fire and brimstone. You weren't taught about this part, but you were taught about that part. You were taught about the fire and brimstone, and that's where it's taking you. It's taking you into that lake of fire to throw your stoop backside in it. And I was just like, oh, you know, I was like, you know, I was, I was just like mortified. Just, just paralyzed and mortified. I was like, what, what have I done that was, <laughs> what have I done that was so wrong? You know, like, what have I done? I've, I've never killed anybody. I've never, like, raped any women or molested any children. Why, why am I here? Be like, this, this is not right. This is not right. And when I thought that, this tiny little light appeared, and it looked like a little star off into the night sky in this black, empty void. And I thought to myself, well, whatever it is, it can't help me. It's just too small and too far away. And then I saw it move to the right, and I was like, what, what is that? And as I focused in on it, it came rushing at me, and this hand reached down to me. And all I saw was the hand coming out of this bright light, and I reached up, and my hand knew what to do before I did. It was literally like a reflex. My arm just shot up without, you know, a thought process, you know, like you do when a ball's tossed at your head. You just reach and catch it. It's an instinctive reflex to save your life, you know, to save you from getting a black eye, you know, when a baseball is tossed at your head. It's just a reflex. And my arm shot up and grabbed his hand, and immediately we're all standing back up. And when we're standing back up, this thing still has me by the shoulder, and it is angry. And I mean just wrathfully 
mad dog, you know, just filled with fury, you know, just mad, you know, and it was old. And I, there was something in me just saying, don't move. Don't move. If you move, this thing's going to rip your shoulder and your arm off and just beat you to death with it, you know, and you don't want that. Just don't move. You know, there's something in me saying, don't move, don't move, don't move. So I literally just stood there as perfectly still as I could, like a statue. And I'm looking at the face of this angel, you know, that's standing in front of me. And this thing, like I said, heavy by the shoulder, and it had whipped its head around, you know, its body around to see what had stopped it and why. Because basically this thing owned me like a pet, like a dog, like a parakeet, like a stick of furniture, you know. And it wanted to know why it was stopped because I was there purposefully. You know, and it owned me. I was its pet, you know, and it whipped around. And before it could even say a word, I think a thought, you know, other than what it was already thinking. It whipped around and this angel just the same way that I stretched out, it stretched out. It just moved so fast like a bolt of lightning. And he just reached his arm up to about his head height. Now, this angel was nine feet, six inches tall, roughly. Roughly about nine feet tall, like Goliath. And he hit this thing open-handed, open-palmed, in the solar plexus. So this thing's sternum, this this 13-foot-tall beast sternum was at its head height. You know, if these little two stood side by side, the angel that saved me would have been roughly at the thing's sternum. And... <laughs> That's how, and it wasn't built like, you know, like muscle bound, you know, weightlifter. You know, I've been lifting weights for 20 years, you know, kind of thing. No, it was more like fitness, aerobic, you know, aerobics fitness instructor. You know, he was strong and you could tell that he was a male just by his basic outline of his body. But um, basically he, you know, he just rushes forward, hits the thing in the solar plexus and he hit it so fast and so hard that, its hand was literally just whipped off my shoulder, you know, before it's even like grip or, you know, grab down or, you know, just like, I, <laughs> luckily for me, that instinctiveness to stay still, you know, saved me from going with it. Because if I had moved, it would have tightened its grip. And when this angel hit it, it would have taken me flying with him. But because he wasn't so concerned with me moving, because I wasn't moving, he had a loose grip on me. And when this angel hit him in the solar plexus, you know, right in the stem, he literally just, his hand was ripped off my shoulder, and he folded in half and started flying backwards, bouncing off this ground that you can't see. There's like a stone over water. Bip, 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 bip. And I'm watching it fly backwards. And then this angel calls me by this long name. Now, I know it's a it's a heavenly name. And I cannot remember. As soon as he said this name, it was like standing in a crowded room and someone going, hey, Sean. And then you look over or, hey, Todd. And then you look over and they're talking to some other Todd. But they had said your name. So you looked anyway. It was like that. He sent me, he sent me about this name that I recognized as mine, but that I've never heard before. And then as soon as I heard it and I looked at him. He took that name back out of my head. The same way it went in my ears, it went right back out. He did not allow me to remember the name that he had called me, you know, because technically I hadn't earned it. You don't, 
you don't earn heavenly things by living the life that I lived. And the whole reason I ended up there in the first place, you know, fornication and alcohol and messing around and sleeping around and, you know, just not living a Christian life. That's how you end up in this place that I ended up, you know, but it was like, Hey, you had this at one time and you lost it. So now you're not allowed to remember it. But as soon as you said this name, I looked at him like, that's me. You know, and then the name was gone. I'm like, what's me? What did you just say? You know, and then he looks at me and his voice, this, 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 well, to describe the angel for you. The angel was nine feet tall. He had wavy brown hair pushed to the back. He had olive colored skin and his eyes were blue, blue, like uh, a sky blue, like an ocean blue, you know? And then he looks at me and he goes, he starts speaking. As he's speaking, it's like a, like a rushing sound of like a, like a river, like a water, like a waterfall, like a stadium full of people. Just like, but he's speaking. It's like a thousand voices saying the same thing all at the same time in the same tone. But you, you can tell it's like a thousand people, you know? And he goes, you know, and I don't remember the name, so I'll just say my earthly name. He's like, Sean. And I just looked at him and I was like, oh, that's me. Who's me? You know? What did he just say? And he looks at me and he goes, he says, uh, my name is Michael. He didn't have to say my name is the Archangel Michael. You know, he didn't have to introduce him as who he was. He just said, my name is Michael. And I immediately understood who he was. You know, it's like if you had met Moses and he said, I'm Moses, you wouldn't uh, like, oh, you're the prophet Moses. You're the guy that part of the red. You wouldn't have to ask, are you that one? You would know, you know, and when he looked at me, you know, I'm just looking at him and he's like, he's like dressed in this Roman style tunic that came, you know, the, the, the sleeves came just below, below the elbows and the, 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 the length of it was just right below the knees. You know, and it had like gold embroidery and a V shape around his neck. You know, he just stand there, just strong, just masculine. But at the same time, his face was beautiful. And I don't mean it normally. I know that sounds weird about you know a dude saying this about another dude. You know, even if it's an angel. You know, but his face looked like the mix. It was androgynous. It was the it was, it was the perfect mix of the most handsome man you've ever seen on G- GQ cover and the most beautiful woman you've ever seen on a Vogue cover. <laughs> you know, if you blended those two faces together without it being like it's Pat, you know, or uh, is that a man or a woman? You know, no, no, no. You could tell that it was a man, but it, it had this beauty to it that was feminine. And when you looked at him, you just like, wow, he's big and strong, but he's beautiful. You know, which is an odd thing to say. I know it is. And he just looks at me and he goes, my name is Michael. And he begins to talk to me, but I don't want to call it a spidey sense, okay? Like a Spider-Man type thing. This My spidey sense was tingling. But it was almost like that. In my head, an image had popped up and was in the shape of a circle. And I literally saw it playing like a movie in between my eyes, but in the center of my head. I don't understand how I can explain it, but it wasn't my physical eyes. In front of my physical eyes was angel, but in my head, I guess they call it the third eye or whatever, was this little movie playing of this thing having gotten back up, this beast, this demon, this 13-foot-tall demon, and it was running back after me, and it was getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and I'm seeing this image play in my head, and it's overruling everything that this angel's saying to me. 
So I'm not listening to a single thing that he's saying. The only thing I'm I'm doing is watching this beast bigger and bigger and bigger, and I kind of like turn around, you know, and to see if what's playing in my head, this image that's playing in my head, this self-preservation thing, you know, you know, this warning sign to see if it was real and I pretty you know pretty soon my physical eyes were looking at this little image and i didn't need to see this image playing in my head anymore i could see it in front of me you know so i literally like turned around and there is this thing coming back after me it was getting bigger and bigger and bigger just like i saw in my head just like this image this little round image like a like a little tv set you know playing in my head and i look back at this angel and i was just thinking to myself oh dude whatever you gotta say just please say it fast and get it over with because this thing is coming back after me, you know? And this angel was just looking down at me, and he goes, and the last words that came out of his mouth, I fully understood him. He said, he looked at me, and he goes, he goes, your time has not yet come. It's time for you to go. And he pointed his finger in a direction, and whatever direction he pointed in, that's the direction I stepped. And as soon as I took that first step in that direction, I was back in my body, and I opened my eyes. And there they are. You know, the two corporals walking around, one freaking out, going, oh, my God, oh, my God, what are we going to do? We got to tell somebody. The other one going, shut up, I can't think, you know. I need to think, shut up. You know, and I open my eyes, and the, one, the other one points down, and he goes, dude, look, he's alive. And I was like, what? And he comes over, and he stands over the top of my body. Now, remember, I had been dead for eight minutes by this time. Um, so I was just like, I'm looking at him and I'm like, okay, uh, I can't move, you know, because the, my eyes were open and my heart was beating, but there had been no circulation in my body whatsoever. It's just like sitting in class and you don't even realize your legs falling asleep because you just cut off some vein, you know, some artery, you know, and then you don't realize it until you stand up that your legs are asleep and you're like, whoa. You know, and you had to get your leg filled, you know, you had to get the circulation going back in your leg and you can't even move it. Well, my whole body was asleep, just like that. And so I literally, I was like, I was like, oh man, I'm not living my life paralyzed. I got to get myself moving, you know? So I started, you know, forcing my fingers to move. And then eventually my arm, I got my arms moving on both hands, my fingers moving on both hands. And then it was just like pinpricks of, pinpricks of fire, you know? I felt from my fingertips going up towards my shoulders, and I was like, I know what that feeling is. It hurts like a son of a gun, but, man, that's a good, that's a good thing, you know? You know, because the feeling was coming back into my arms, and it spread across my chest and up my face and top of my head and down towards my waist, and then it stopped at my waist. I'm like, oh, man, my legs aren't, you know, coming back awake. And I was just like, I was just still laying there, and I was weak, and I was just trying to move around, you know? And I finally, after two failed attempts, got myself to a sitting position on the third try. And I was like, okay, I got to get my legs moving. <laughs> if I don't get my legs moving, I'm going to be in a wheelchair for the rest of my life. And I was like, this is not going to happen. So I literally like tried to stand up. Well, with two legs that are asleep, you can't stand up. You got to have at least one good leg to stand on. You know, so when I tried to stand up, I just went face plant, boof, right into the dust, you know, right into the sand. You know, and then I was like, okay, I'm going to try to move my leg. And I tried to move my leg just like an inch, and it flailed like kicking the, like a field goal. It literally flailed, and I literally kicked one of them hard. I mean, really hard. And I was like, boom, you know, and just kicked them. You know, and of course, not on purpose, but it's kind of fitting. But uh, not on purpose, but I kicked them. 
you know, and then he's just like, dude, you know, and I kicked this big swath of dust in, you know, the, the, the tiny little A-frame, and it was like, <coughs> and then they kind of like went off to the side, and they're like, dude, give him some room, just let him, let him be. You know, and I was sitting there kicking my feet, trying to get the feeling to come back into him, and finally the feeling did. And it was just like all at once, everywhere. It didn't run from one end to the other. Just like all at once, my whole leg just caught on fire. You know, I got the circulation going in my legs again. And I'm like, okay, good. You know, I was like learning to walk all over again. Like I was a little baby. I had to really like roll over into my stomach and pull my legs out, you know, underneath me. And then it took me a couple of minutes to get to a standing position. I'm walking around like an old man, just taking like three inch steps, you know, like, uh, like bent over. Like almost as if I'm walking with a cane and I walk around for 20 minutes like that until the strength comes back in my body because my body's just wasted. It's tired. It's worn out, you know, and I finally got myself to a standing position. And then the couple Laycock comes over there and he's like, I'm a corporal in the United States. He's pointing me in the face. He's like, I'm a corporal in the United States Marine Corps and you're going to obey me. You're going to answer me when I talk to you. Now, who am I? You know, because he had been doing that before when he was standing over the top of my body, and it's like, dude, he can't—he's—he can't move. You know, I couldn't speak. You know, and the reason why that is is because this is something that no one, except for someone who's been hung by the neck, will be able to tell you, or maybe someone who's seen someone get hung by the neck. But your tongue swells up in your mouth and fills up the entire surface cavity of your mouth your tongue swells up that large until there's no room in your mouth whatsoever when you're hung by the neck that's what happens to your tongue it just literally engorges itself until it's literally the size of your mouth it completely fills up your mouth i know that sounds disgusting but that's what happened and after that 20 minutes had passed by he comes over into my face he's like you're going to tell me who i am and i just look him into the face you know, because he's trying to give me sobriety questions to find out if I'm, like, all right in the head, you know? And he's, like, he's, like, he's pointing his face, and he's like, oh, tell me who I am. And I'm, and I'm like, and I finally tell him, I'm like, and but my tongue was so swollen up in my mouth that I opened my mouth, and I pointed towards my tongue so that he could see how swollen up it was because it had only gone down about halfway, you know? For that 20 minutes, I was walking around with this my tongue engorged in my mouth, and I couldn't even say anything. You know, but by 20, after 20 minutes, it had gone down half size, and it was like I had just come out of the dentist's office. That's what it sounded like when I was talking. I was like, look, Corporal Laycock, here's Corporal Page. Look at this tax, 394 and get out of my face. You know, you can barely even understand what I was saying, but I was basically saying, you're Corporal Laycock, you're Corporal Page. This is tax 3-4-94. Now get out of my face. You know, and he's like, dude, okay. Because I was angry, you know, at that point, you know, you're going to kill me and then like get in my face and start yelling at me. Like all of a sudden you're Mr. Responsibility after having played a prank on me that got me killed, you know, get out of my face. You know, that's just rotten attitude, you know, and even though I was a lower rank than them, that's exactly how I responded. If he had pressed it, I would have picked him up and bumped him, you know, but it was just like, get out of my face, dude. You know, and then later on, I like the next night, he asked me what happened when I was dead, and I told him, and he's just like completely atheist. He, he's like, dude, whatever, dude, you're just some kind of religious nut. I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God, blah, 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 blah. 
And that was his reaction to it. You know? And, you know, it's like, I don't know what to say. It's like being in a car wreck. If you've ever been in a car wreck, it just happens to you. It's not something that you ask for. It's not something you wish for. You know, you don't ask, you don't ask to be, you know, flopped around into a car and smashed against the, you know, the windshield, you know, and live through it. And people go like, dude, you actually lived through that? Look at how smashed up the car was. And you don't even have a scratch on you. How does that happen? I don't believe you. You know, I'm just like, it wasn't me. You know, I didn't ask for this. It just happened to me. You know, but that's, that's, <laughs> that's basically my testimony. And I've, I've learned a few things out of it. And it's a, one that I've seen hell with my own eyes, at least the doorstep to it, if that's what you want to call it, you know, but hell is real. Angels are real. Demons are real. And, and Sean, you, you basically grew up in the church, right? I grew up as a Baptist. I was taught about hell being fire and brimstone. I wasn't taught about this, you know, this dark, empty portion, although it's in there. Right, right. But, I mean, you know, one thing that I have seen, you know, now now that I, I'm in the church, go to church and stuff like that, and, and, I mean, even a lot of people in the church don't believe there's a hell. And uh, and and they still think that every weekend it's okay to go out and party all weekend long, and then you know come Sunday and we go to church, and you know so they're they're basically living their life the way you were living yours at the time this happened. Well, bro, I'm gonna be honest with me, but those people it crushes my heart because I can't. If I tell this story, they're going to think I'm crazy. And if I, you know, if I don't, then God's going to ask me one day, why didn't you say something you knew? You know, somebody would have believed you. You know, even if it's only one out of a thousand, but for these people, my my heart is crushed because I can't make them believe what happened to me. I can't make them see with my eyes, you know, and no matter how many times I tell the story the same way, it just doesn't. You know, some, most people just don't believe. And because they don't believe, they are one day going to see it with their own eyes. But by that time, it's too late. They may not have the opportunity that I had to come back. You know, I just, uh, it was luck, destiny, part of God's plan. I don't know. All I know is I got the chance to come back. It just had, wasn't my ultimate time, which tells me, you know, your time, when he said your time did not come yet, when the angel said that to me, later on in retrospect and thinking about this, I realized that if there's a time for us to be born, then there's a time for us to die. It's already written out. We just live in our lives, you know, and just blind walking. But it's going to happen to us one day. And I just, I just wished that everyone knew for certain like I know. And even though I know for certain, it doesn't mean that I'm like some kind of a prophet or preacher. I, I'm not even a deacon in my church. I'm just a singer. I sing. You know, it's something I do well. But I'm not. The, I'm not even the straightest walking Christian. I'm just. You know, I'm, I definitely know that I can't live my life like I did before. So I cut out all the things that I know for certain were bad, like smoking and drinking and cussing and all this other stuff. You know, that you know are bad deep inside you, but you just kind of just blow it off. You know, I kind of stick it off the side. Well, so what if I say a few, you know, hells or dams or, you know, stuff like that, you know? Of course, I'm using smaller words, but, 
you know, that are, that, that are in the Bible, hells in the Bible, dams in the Bible, but you know what I'm, I, I, there, there are bigger words that everybody uses almost on a daily basis, but I don't use those. You know, and I don't use those anymore because it's like, how am I supposed to, as a Christian, say these long curse words and then bless God with the with the same voice? You know what I'm saying? It, just, it doesn't, it's super hypocritical. You know, it's like, I have to try to live the straightest that I can live and walk the straightest that I can walk so that maybe my living testimony, I guess you could say, my life can be a testimony to other people, you know? Yes. Yes, I do. You're going to enjoy this show tonight. We've got a, an actor. He's an author. He's a preacher. He used to be a, a Olympic boxer. And he was also being groomed to be a voodoo priest. And his name is Earthquake Kelly. And how are you doing tonight? Yes, fine. Brother Todd, how you doing, man? Thanks for having me tonight. I'm doing really good. And, and I'll tell you, I'm excited to have you share your testimony uh, and then bring us up to date. Wow, from what I was reading, it, I mean, it sounds like from uh, just a small, well, first of all, I, I read the part about your dad trying to destroy you before you were even born. And that's just, right. that's crazy. Right, right. Abortion attempt. Thank God it failed. Exactly. Uh, Yes, sir. Had his hands, literally had his hands on me from day one. Yeah, and so so then you were being raised to be a voodoo priest? Right. Your father was a voodoo priest too, right? Right, exactly. He was more into, uh, he was on a higher level than I ever I ever achieved. He was way up there. He was into the voodoo. I was practicing voodoo, but he was into to Vudan and uh, uh, it's it's like uh, like a higher level of, of magic and sorcery and stuff. Whatever happened to your father? Well, 1973 or 74, I believe it. He came to church with me, and I I saw him go down to the altar, raise his hands up to receive Jesus. About two months later, he died. Wow. Yeah. But but you know what though. I, I'm so glad to hear that because reading and um, June hearing some of the other interviews and things, all I could think is, okay, where's his dad now, though? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, we we, we serve such a, a merciful God. Yeah, man. I saw him con- uh, uh, completely change. I saw God come, and I was there because I wouldn't have believed it if I wasn't there myself. You know, I might have said, oh yeah, right him. Oh no, <laughs> but I right. was there. I bought him a suit. He was old school. He didn't like to go out anywhere not not dressed in suit and tie. And uh, was still back in the, the, the early 70s and stuff. So he was still old school. He liked to have on a suit and a tie when he went out to church and public meetings or whatever. So I went and I bought him a suit and uh, I bought him a nice shirt and, and a tie. And he felt even... Um, through the weekday, he didn't want to go to church without being suited and tied down. So he went, and I, to my surprise, you know, he went and he saw the change in me. He saw the change in me because I, I was a uh, very bad person, very very bad person. So he saw something change in me, and uh, we started. We started. We weren't we weren't friends. 
we weren't friends at all. You know, we we wasn't friends. Uh, I mean, we were just my dad, but we weren't we weren't socializing at all any any level in the same house in the same house for sixteen years, but we we didn't have any kind of fellowship at all. It wasn't nothing about that. It was more like he's he said and I did. That's just all there was to it. But when he saw a change in me and nothing he could do to 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 break my will and that I was gonna love God regardless, he said there's something different about me and I and I kept pressuring him about stop he was smoking three or four packs of cigarettes a day, and I lovingly tried to help him with that. And he had other sorcerers that would come by the house, and I withstood a very bad person that was into witchcraft that was trying to control him and because he was in his bed. He's like 98 pounds soaking wet. Some of the people from that other side was trying to come by and work spells and stuff on him, and I confronted them because... I had got saved, and I told him, I said, I'm from where you're from. You can't fool me with that stuff. I know how, how it operates, how it works. And I love Jesus. Now I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. And you can't bring that stuff in here. And that person started to resist me, and then I, re- I came against them in the name of Jesus. Then they threatened to, to, to kill me. And I'm still here. And I said, I'm not afraid of that, man. Get out of here. You and that stuff don't work with this Jesus stuff that I have. And so I'm still here. And then I was able to get my dad to go go to church. And uh, he got saved. And two months later, he passed away. I did my job, Todd. I did what? Exactly. Do you want to share a little bit about your testimony for, you know, the beginning and then the... Sure, I, 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 I would love to. My mother married, she married him, even though she was filled with the Holy Ghost. She was a member of uh, Pentecostal Church. My dad took a liking to her and followed her everywhere and came to church and played like he was a Christian, and they threw their hands up. He would throw his hands up, and when people would shout and dance, he would shout and dance. But my great-uncle, who was a pastor, knew that he wasn't he wasn't no Christian and he told my mom, he said, That man's not a Christian, he's only after you and so he stayed after my mom and, and everywhere she went and after when my mom said he just he just wore her down, so to speak, as wore her. she gets married him. We we have like eleven children and I was the seventh I was the seventh child and they said since I was the seventh child that I was picked by Papa Doc Duvalier, the president dictator for life to work in Port-au-Prince and City Soleil, and that's where they prepped me and prepared me to do that. I was on drugs at an early age, Todd. I started huffing huffing chemicals at four years old, doing marijuana at six years old, and $500 worth of cocaine daily at 10 years old because my brothers weren't in in the business. They They were pharmacists, so to speak, so I didn't have to buy anything. And doing that, the drugs and the gangs there by New York and Connecticut and Jersey and stuff like that had a big influence on my life. I've seen a lot of people uh, treated very bad in that in that realm. And my mother, she realized what she had done. And, uh, of course, a long time before I was born, she said she asked God to forgive her for making that mistake of not waiting on on him 
and marry a man that wasn't saved. And she tell other women. She passed away last February, but she was on Sid Roth's show with me before she passed away about nine to ten years ago. She was on there with me telling the story, which was powerful. And God, he heard her prayers on my behalf. And, and uh, 1971, after an overdose of drugs, I was down in the pits of hell. I went down into the pits of hell, being tormented by evil spirits. And some hands of light came down in the pits of hell, grabbed me under my armpits, and pulled me out of the hands of those evil spirits and put me back in my body and said, because of your mother's prayers and because that you've been chosen to do a work for my kingdom, the kingdom of God, you were spared. Actually, Todd, we, we finished everything that's dealing with my life story movie, which will be in all the theaters, praise God. It'll be in all the theaters coming up. We just got a few more things to do. And my whole entire life story will be in the, we're going to do two parts in the theater, so praise God for that. So that's pretty much, that's pretty much what, there's a whole lot more to happen to me, but God has been good to me and he saved me in 1971 after he took me out of hell, put me in my body, my sister, my sister came and told me about Jesus and she said, you're not going to be a sorcerer no more that you're going to get saved. And and my girlfriend at the time, she knew that I was worth a lot of money and had a shipment of com- of, of stuff coming in. And, and she said, you can't get saved because if you get saved, we can't, I can't get all of this money. And I said, don't worry about it. I'm not going to church to get saved. I'm just going to church because my sister won't stop telling me about Jesus. So she said, well, I'm, I'm going to go to church with you to make sure you don't get saved. Now, I never heard of such a thing. And that's exactly what she did. She came to church, and she stood outside, and she was pacing back and forth. And I could see her outside of the church pacing back and forth, back and forth. And that went on for like a week. It was a week revival. And she would come every night, and my sister would bring me to church. I heard the voice of the Lord, Todd. And before that, the pastor the pastor said, Young man, you were in there, back there in the back. And so I'm sitting in the back of the church. Cause I, didn't, I didn't know anybody but my sister. So I told her, sit me in the back. I don't, I don't want to be around these, these goody two-shoes people. I don't know these people. So she said, okay. She sat me in the back. And the pastor pointed. Everybody turned around to look. I turned around and looked, too. I said, well, young man, he's talking to you, and there's nobody back there but me in the wall. So I said, oh, no, he's talking to me. He said, come down here. Jesus wants to save you. So I'm looking out out the window of the church, and I see see my girlfriend pacing, and somehow she heard what what the pastor said, and she was true to her word. She stuck her head in the door and like, no, don't go down there. Don't go down there to that altar. If you go down there to the altar, you might get saved. And then I'll miss out on all this money. At that time, I was only making $200 a day, sometimes 300 But the rest of those high rollers was making much more than that. I was at the low end of 200 a day. And I was only like 14 or 15 making that kind of money. Our big payday was coming up when my cut was going to be a million dollars. And, and uh, she knew that. And so she said, you can't get saved. And, and but I heard the pastor's voice. He said, come down here. Weren't told, you paralyzed? You were paralyzed yeah. from the waist down when all this happened. Paralyzed. Yeah, I was paralyzed from the waist down. And I had been in the hospital. And I was bedridden. And so that's the first miracle. The, what, the second miracle, God took me out of hell. second miracle was 
I had no no strength in my legs from my waist down. I was like wet spaghetti strings in my legs. And Pastor, he was he was like, "Come down here." And I'm like, "Does he know?" Two of my sisters had to help me walk to the inside the church from the car. And I had no control of my bowels or nothing. Um, if I had to go to the bathroom, I wouldn't even know. It would just be on his own. And so I had to wear, like, these Depends diapers. And at 15 years old, I had to wear that. My girlfriend didn't. She didn't care. She just wanted me to stay in the business because I could do business over the phone. You know, it was no problem with that. Or I had my runners or whatever. You know how that business is out there in the drug world. No problem. Then when I got up, I, I can use my arms were pretty strong. I got up, and all of a sudden, some power and strength got in my legs. I mean, some strength got in my legs, and I was able to walk from the back of the church all the way to the preacher down in the front. People may not believe it, but I got about 40 or 50 witnesses to this day that saw me walk by the power of the Holy Ghost, by the healing and the prayer of the pastor when he spoke when he spoke he said get up God did something in heaven in my leg silver and gold have I none but with such that we have I given unto do take up that bed and walk and that guy get up off of that ground off of that floor or whatever and the same thing happened to me and so I made it down I made it halfway halfway down and I looked to the side there was a mop bucket you know the way you 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 squeeze it and the water comes out into the pail. And I could hear the evil voice saying, you know you got no controls of your bowels. If you go down there, you're going to have a terrible thing happen to you in front of all these strangers, and you don't want that. Go back, turn around, and go back and sit down. But I heard a voice said, no, keep going. I loved you. See, where I grew up in Connecticut, New York, and stuff, in the streets there in Harlem, you don't tell people you love them, especially men to men. Either you got something going on in the wrong feminine way, or somebody trying to get close to you to take something from you. That voice said, I love you, I love you. I want to save you. I want to use you. I kept walking towards the pastor. It wasn't him, and I walked right past my girlfriend. She had her head in the door, in the church door, looking, almost screaming, no, 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 no. Because she knew if I got saved, that all that millions of dollars. And so that sister came to church to make sure I wasn't getting saved, but God had a he had the last word in this. Stood there. Todd, I haven't seen her. I haven't seen her since 1971. To this, from from then to now, I have not seen her. And I stood there in front of the pastor. And he started telling me my whole life story. He said, you were a sorcerer. You were this. Because you uh, people were in bad way and were messed up in life because of your sorcery and witchcraft and voodoo and gangs and all of this stuff you did. I'm like, you don't know me. You don't know nothing about me. How are you going to stand there and tell me my life story? My sister told you all this, but she didn't. The Lord told the Lord told him my story. Sure did. My sister later on, she said, I didn't tell him anything about you. I didn't say nothing to that do with you as, you know, involved with drugs and stuff like that, but I didn't tell him all the rest of that stuff. She, she said, God told him that. So I wasn't mad at her no more because that's cool. So I stood there at the altar. I got past that. Mop bucket because my bowels didn't didn't come loose. Pastor said, God wants to save you. He wants to save you and use you to do great work for him. And I saw a vision 
of me traveling the world instead of getting drug deals like I was doing. And I would do that as, as a representative, representing God's spirit. Hallelujah. He showed me going around the world. And I've been to China now. I've been to Pakistan. I've been to Beijing. I've been to, to Gozo. I've been to Malta preaching. Just about every country, South America, Canada, been, um, I've been everywhere, Todd, pretty much preaching the gospel. Just like God said, because God's not a liar. He doesn't lie. Ah, glory, hallelujah, he doesn't lie. So I threw my hands up. I said, hold on, hold on, hold on, God, hold on. I, and I talked to God at the altar. I said, hold on a second. I said, God, do you know what kind of person I am? I'm a low-down, dirty sorcerer. I do witchcraft for a living. I'm one of the most powerful, young, before this Harry Potter person even existed. I done done all of that stuff pretty much twice backwards that he did forward. And I said, how how can you use me? How you use a man that uh, I wasn't even but 15 talking to God at the altar? I said, how can you use me? I know stuff that most people would be afraid of. When I walk down the street, Todd, people see me coming. They would grab their children and run in the house. I'd be out there by myself, and they would holler, Here comes that witch boy. Here comes that witch boy. Yeah, man, I was a bad sorcerer. But I could do stuff, and not bragging it, but I could do stuff that would re- literally, you'd have to scratch your head, you know? And it just was a, a fearful sight to be around and didn't want to get on the bad side. You didn't want to get on the bad side of, of me because of that, that those powers that I could make a car flip over in the middle of the street. I could do all those crazy things, Todd. I was a, I was a real bad sorcerer, really bad. And I'm standing before God's altar asking him, what can you possibly want with me? My mother said, you don't operate with witchcraft. You don't do that, so how can you... How can you use me? That's, that's all I knew. That's all I knew was witchcraft. And if you did something to me, I was going to take care of you. You know, I was in Japan after you. If you know what the spirit of Japan is, Ezekiel, the eighth chapter, it's a fire and smoke spirit. I could do all kinds of running head spirits where if I wanted to, it's in the book of Zechariah 2 and 2, spirit that you use on the highway that can cause accidents and probably a hundred others that I, I will operate in, and I'm wondering how my mama's God used me. And that's where he showed me he showed me that vision of me traveling the world. My wife and uh, I saw that in Uganda, Africa, when we were there. There was a there was witch doctor, and he, uh-huh. caused, he caused this accident, this bus to flip over, and he was cutting pieces off of people for his, you know, his enchantments or whatever. And, and the, anyway, when they came upon the scene and realized what he had done, that you know, they, they stoned him to death right there. Yeah, yeah, same spirit. He used the same spirit I did, same one. It's called Asmo, it's, it's called Asmo Die. Asmo Die, and it's also known as Mercury, and it's also known as Hermes. Same spirit in different parts of the world. It's called the running head spirit. And it's called it's Zechariah 2 and 2. You see in Zechariah 2 and 2, there's the running head angels of God that went forth 
taught to measure Jerusalem, <clears throat> excuse me, for a blessing. Well, the Asmodai, the renegade spirit, it's a, fallen, it's a fallen spirit that also runs, and his job is to cause calamity on the road and the highways. That's why we never leave the house. My wife, Selena, and I, we told all of our children to pray before we get in a car and go anywhere to come against that running head spirit because I used to, when I wasn't a Christian, I used to see that spirit stand next to me, and I would send it forth to do certain things. I won't tell you what it is because God, you know, took all that under the blood now. But So that guy in Africa, he was doing the same thing, the, the same thing. And which, unfortunately, he lost his life for doing so. You know, and if he didn't get saved, unfortunately, God doesn't look too good for him. And now what I do, I turn, I turn people on to the scriptures and how to get delivered so they don't have to be suffering for lack of knowledge. My people destroy for lack of knowledge. And, and it also says, I think it's Isaiah 13 and 5, my people going through captivity because they have no knowledge. That's God talking about it. So God dealt with me there at the altar. Todd, he dealt with me. He told me he loved me because at that, at that time, the men where I come from never said the word, I love you, because it's either somebody trying to get at you from a strange sexual way that he would or he was trying to set you up to get into your confidence and try to beat you from some kind of financial point of view. So when I heard that voice, that male, strong, loving voice that I love you, and I was like, not only did I hear it, but I felt it down in my soul. And I was looking off to the side at my girlfriend outside the door. I was looking at her, standing there at the altar by myself, as if my legs are made of steel. It went from spaghetti to steel. And I told God, I said, I don't know what you want for me, but if you're going to keep me as a man, I said, because a lot of these Christian guys that I see, they're too soft for me. I said, I can't deal with it. I'm honest. God knows me. I'm always honest. Sometimes he may have got me in trouble because sometimes I might have been too honest with God. I say, God, you know, I don't like that. I, I really, you know, you know, and, and he helps me because I'd rather be honest with him than try to play games with it, you know. Right, so I said, right. I, I, ain't gonna play. I told him, I said, you never got to worry about me playing no games with you. I said, I'm going to be straightforward. You said, come boldly to the throne of grace, and I will never disrespect you. And if I have you, forgive me, but I won't disrespect you. But I'm not going to sit back and cheat and slide and steal and play games because I did that stuff in the streets. And I'm going to do that with you. So I said, if you're going to save me, like this preacher is talking about, let me keep my mentality. Don't let me be no church male wimp or whatever that these guys, like Tiny Tim or whatever. I don't know that stuff. And God spoke to me. He said, not only will you keep your mentality, but you will be a man after my own heart. And I will use you, and I will do mighty things through you. And that December 15, 1971, I threw my hands up, and I said, God, like I said, I don't understand how you can use a fellow like me, really not try understanding all of it, but we got a deal. And I threw my hands up, and it felt like, Todd, man, it felt like all kinds of stuff fell off of me at the altar, man. All kinds of stuff was falling off of me. I'm telling you, man, uh, Azule, 
Perzule, the Sex Spirit, Zapan, all the Ouija boards and the cemeteries that I worked through, the seance, all of that stuff that I did on people and, and took people into different realms and stuff like that. All that stuff fell off of me, man. Hundreds of piles of, from sorcery and voodoo, santeria, all of that stuff fell off of me. The Virgo signs and, and all the zodiacs and all of that stuff fell off of me at that altar, man. And then God was cleaning me up. Then he filled me with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And he started doing some stuff for me that people, even some Christians, wouldn't even believe. If they saw it with their own eyes, they had to rub their eyes. And here, that little witch boy, hallelujah, my God. That little witch boy that people would run from. Now God is using me to have people run to me, run to the altars. I teach people about the dangers of profanity. And every time you cuss and you say F and S, if those are not words, Todd. Those are the names of evil spirits, and I wrote books about these things, and and I've been on TBN and 700 Club and Sid Roth talking about these things because people don't understand. Every time you curse at somebody, you're not saying a word. That's the name of an evil spirit that you are conjuring up, that you are conjuring. And I teach these all over the world. We, My wife and I, we're in South America. Then we're over to, to Ghana, Africa. Then I've been to Uganda. I've been invited down to South Africa and these places to preach. When I was in Uganda, a minister, ministering over there on what happens to your blood. What happens to your blood when you have sex outside of marriage? And I was going to preach something else, and God told me to preach that when I was in Kampala over there in Uganda and what have you. And it was looked like 100,000 people. I said, I ain't preaching before these many people before. God said, boy, you better get yourself out there and preach. There was so many people. I said, God. Ain't that preach before these many people before? If you don't get yourself out there saying preach what I told you on top of it, he said preach against the the spirits that get inside of your bloodstream. That's in the book of Ezekiel, the 16th chapter, where God said you are polluted in your own blood because of your your sexual acts. And so I said, I, okay, I'm preaching, and I preached it right there in Uganda, and I made an altar call. Hallelujah. And, man, you're talking about a stampede of people coming running and running up. You don't understand. You get you get all kinds of spirits getting in your blood. When you, Man, when you have sex outside of marriage, that's one of the worst things you can do because there are spirits. There's a hydra head spirit where it brings on multiple personalities. There's all kinds of, of – uh, there's, there's a fornex spirit. Fornex spirit is called the jewel robbing spirit what they used to always tell us back in the black community they said they tell the girls don't let that boy have sex with you he gonna steal your family jewels you know and they may not know exactly the spirit behind it but there's exactly a spirit called the the it's called the multiple personality spirit that you get from having sex outside of marriage and man i'm telling you people with aids was coming up there was little babies todd with aids and we laid hands on them Rebuked that spirit, that that spirit that was causing these things. Man, in the next few days coming back with their doctor's report that they was healed. Hallelujah. My God, I wish somebody get an amen out there somewhere. Amen. Did it, man. You give me the preaching over here, man. I'm, I'm, 
Just let me hush now. I don't talk too much now. Go ahead. Well, no, let's go back to the profanity because I, I, I just want to point that out. That when they say these words, which, I mean, nowadays you hear it all day long. And I work, yep. you know, I work with professional, you know, these are doctors, these are nurses that are educated, and you still hear the F word being used. But they're actually calling down the spirit when they say that. They're calling up the spirit. Up yeah, well, I mean, it's it's cussing has just become nothing to them. Lack of knowledge. If they knew exactly what happens, let me tell you. How, let me tell you how I found out about this from a sorceress. One day I was going to the neighborhood. I was going to the neighborhood, minding my own business, and I heard a, a a female that I knew very well, much older than me. I was only eight years old at that time. But my eight years old was not like eight years old and a lot of other, because at that time I was involved with a lot of drug stuff and seeing, you know, a lot of bad stuff, streets and crime and stuff. So, but I was like already an adult at eight years old. So that happened. I never, you know what, time I never had a childhood. I don't know what it's like. It was robbed from me. So that's why I smile and enjoy myself now in the church. One lady told me, you laugh too much. You smile too much. Stop all that smiling. This evangelist told me that. He told me, stop smiling. You smile too much. And I said to myself, lady, if you only know half the stuff I've been through, you'd be smiling along with me. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, so I was walking through the neighborhood there, right out, not too far out of New York City, and there was a big argument going on between these two individuals, a male and a female going back and forth, back and forth. So back in those days, back in those days, they taught us that children are not allowed to be involved with grown people's business. I don't care what kind of business it is. You are not allowed. When you see grown people talking, you get out of the way. Be seen and not heard. So because there's a thing called a switch back in those days or a belt, and I didn't like either one of those things. So... I just stood back out the way where they couldn't see me, but yet still there was a lady that I knew and I admired and a lot. And this guy was much bigger than her, and he was arguing back and forth, back and forth, and looked like he was getting the best of her. So she put her hands up in the silhouette. It's called the silhouette, but I won't tell you what kind of silhouette. It's just called the silhouette. That's, what I'm, that's all I'm going to say. She did the silhouette a certain kind of silhouette. And that man, like, he grabbed his heart tot and he fell over backwards. Why? Because she said, she said this. She said, I call F to come and destroy your life. Now, at this point, I didn't know F was an individual. I thought it was just a word. But when she said, I call F to destroy you, that's where he grabbed his heart, and this man fell over backwards on the concrete. Boom. I'm standing there looking at this, brought open daytime. I said, wow, what what power, what power that she has. I said, wow, I want that power too because I want to take care of some of these people that's been ruling me. I mean, I'm eight years old. I got to run numbers in the gambling den, a, a horse betting with, with all the criminals in the neighborhood. I was a runner. I was a this. I had to, uh, uh, everything that somebody wanted me to do, I had to do. And my father, when he beat me, he beat me in the head with the belt buckle. Do you hear what I'm telling you? 
So I didn't want to be, be every day drinking my own blood because when he get mad, he would beat me with the belt buckle. So I sure enough didn't want to try to stay shy away from that. And so I'm standing there looking at and say, wow, what power. What power? If I get that kind of power, he won't, he, won't, he won't be able to beat me no more. The crooked cops that was using me to do stuff, there was the cops, crooked cops would use me to do stuff. So I said, I'm going to handle all these people. I'm going to handle these gangsters, these pimps, crooked cops, my dad. And I said, I call F to come and take over my life. At that point, I knew it was no longer, that's just not a bad word, quote, unquote. It's not a bad word. It's an entity. It's a personality, an evil creature. And so when I did that, Todd, the ground opened up in front of me. It opened up in front of me, and a little tornado came out of there with eyes and the mouth was laughing, and it was spinning right in front of me, and it was spinning, 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 spinning real fast, and it went right inside of my chest and my stomach and kept spinning and laughing. I started jumping up and screaming. I said, ah, ah, what is this? What is this? What happened at that is that tornado, which is the book I wrote called Escaping the Nemo Cycle. You'll see it right on the front cover. I put a little tornado on there with eyes and stuff that this, this Nemo Cycle does. I ran in the house, and and I was screaming and yelling. All my brothers and was watching TV sitting around. And I said, something's in me, something's in me. And I said, something's in me. They said, boy, nothing wrong with you. Stop that noise. I said, no, 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 me. something's inside of me spinning. It's burning and get it out. And they said, go sit down. Nothing wrong with you. And that thing was spinning and spinning and spinning. Then I finally fell asleep on the floor. And my uncle was an alcoholic. One of my uncles was an alcoholic. And he was laying on the floor snoring. And next thing I know, it's like 3 o'clock in the morning, Todd, I, I, I heard this noise. Like, uh, uh. I said, what in the world? I thought it was the, the Bronx Zoo. A grizzly bear has got out of this cage, and now he's down here where we live inside of my house. I didn't know. And so I, I said, Uncle, wake up, man, wake up. It's a bear. It's a grizzly bear in our house. He said, boy, be quiet. Go back to sleep. Ain't no bear in this house. I said, yes, it is. Yes, it is. So he he. He sort of kicked me and let me know to be quiet and go back to sleep. So I couldn't because I can, all I can hear was, uh, So finally, I looked in the direction of the closet. The closet door sprung open, flew open, and here stepped out this almost seven-foot-tall thing with wings and giant scales on it, like a, like a big fish and alligator or whatever, pointy teeth and long fingernails. And it said to me, and I'll never forget it, it says, my name. F, those four letters, he said, my, this is my name. He said, you called me. You called me, and I'm here. He said, welcome to witchcraft. And I started screaming, and nobody heard me. I was I was trying, uncle, uncle, wake up. Uncle, uncle, go to sleep, boy. Be quiet. No, it's a monster, a monster. Now, uncle, he was so drunk, he couldn't even move. And he wouldn't respond. And I tried to cover up on the mat that was on the floor. And that big old green, it stepped on my arm from my wrist all the way down to my elbow was bleeding. First open wow. of blood. All night long, that thing tormented me till the sun came up. And when the sun started coming up, it changed its image from that big old humanoid-looking scaly thing 
and had the face of a man, the body of a bee, and I saw it fly right through the window, right through the window when the sun came up, and every night for 11 years straight, every night for 11 years straight, those things was in my house tormenting me. That is not a word. That's the name of a spirit, the name of rage. F is directly involved with rage and seven different levels of rage. And S, S is the actual name of the spirit of fear for God has not given us that spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. See, so I teach this to people, and I tell people, I make an altar call. I was in, I was in San Antonio, Texas, a nice big church down there, my wife and I, about two years ago. And God said, preach on that. I said, okay. So I preached on that. I made an altar call. The whole church, the whole church came downtown for cussing, including the pastor. Wow. Including the, pastor. the pastor said, when I go to the golf course and I miss the hole, I miss, oh, nothing wrong with playing golf. Okay. Nothing wrong with that. But it's, they're cussing on the course. That was wrong. And he said, earthquake, I had no idea. I said, man, those not, those not words. You're actually conjuring up spirits. He said, I had no idea. That's why I'm dealing with this. That's why I'm dealing with that. Yeah, because you got this entity. Man, I'm telling you, that, I tell people everywhere I go, Canada, London, we were in London lately, same thing, make an altar call. People run to the altar because they don't know. They think that's just a word. They didn't know word. That's a spirit. And I promised that spirit when I was eight years old. And the next morning, wait, wait, the next morning, the next morning I got up. And I was holding my arm. I was holding my arm. And then my, my mom said, what's the matter with your arm? What's wrong with you? Why are you bleeding? I said, Mom, the monster. She said, what monster? I said, Mom, the monster came out of the closet and stepped on my arm. She said, oh, my God, look at your arm. I said, Mom, that monster stepped on my arm, that F thing. And I didn't say, you know, all of it. Because at that point, I was convinced that's not a word. And she stopped back, and I promised that thing. Let me tell you something in this whole world that's listening. I promised that thing. You stepped on the arm of an eight-year-old boy. I may be a man at that time because I was really messed up in the streets. But I promised I will pay you back until my last dying breath. And that's what I'm doing. Canada, China, everywhere I go. And God tells me to make an altar call about people cussing. People come down. They get set free. They get delivered. They stop cussing. I mean, pastors. I went to a church not too far from Virginia last year. I was preaching there. God said, preach on that cussing mess. There's 5,000 people in there, Todd. 5,000 people in this building. Guess how many people were sitting down when I made the altar call? Out of 5,000 it was about 19 people sitting in the seats. The rest of the church was down there on their hands and knees crying and screaming out to God because they did not. My wife said, baby, they just don't know. They don't know. Some of them don't know that this is not a word. God, I'm talking to those that's out there now that's cussing and not knowing. That thing stepped on my arm. Check this out. He stepped on my arm. He's going to step on your life. He's going to step on your children's life. He's going to step on you physically, emotionally, financially. And he don't care about drawing blood from you, man. He don't care about no blood. 
They want to step on you and draw blood from an eight-year-old child. My arm was bleeding to my mama's heart. Oh, my God, what happened to your arm, son? And that's why I told her. She's the only one that even responded. My brother and sister, they didn't respond to nothing. They didn't respond to it. They didn't even believe me. And I told I told them, you're going to pay for what you did to me. So every time I'm at the altar and I make this preaching message go forth, as God tell me, because I got about 100 other messages, I know he gave me a lot of stuff to work with. But when he tells me to preach on this, everywhere I go, the whole congregation nearly empties their seats. I don't care if I'm in Chicago, Detroit, New York, Connecticut, everywhere I go and preach this message, brother, dear brother Todd, people run to the altar, man. They run because they did not know. Like my wife, Lena said, baby, some of them don't know. And when I tell this story, I've written a book about it, The Dangers of Profanity. The Dangers of it. On the cover, there's a cover of a spider, a venomous spider on the cover. Because that thing bit me like a thousand spiders. It hit me, um, stepped on my arm like a thousand biting poisonous spiders. Am I bitter? No. No, 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 no. I don't carry around bitterness, bitter in earthquake. No. It's that. I am highly functional through the Holy Ghost of the knowledge that God has brought me through to help the body of Christ and non, non-Christians to understand that you cannot go throughout your life and cutting like this because what's happening in Proverbs 5 and 5, anybody out there taking notes, in the book of Proverbs 5 and 5, it talks about there's a staircase in the pits. Look at, look at, look, you can look it up right now if anybody's listening. There's a staircase uh, in hell that every time a person curses those evil entities, not just only F and S, but there's other evil entities that will come up that staircase and come right inside of your dwelling, in your car, all these rappers cussing and throwing that stuff, and they, and you repeating what they're saying, going down the street, bumping in your car, and all that stuff, and cussing, what's happening is that you're shortening your lifespan. Tell them the truth. Check it out. Most of them, that get into that stuff. I ain't saying rapping is a sin or crime. I ain't saying that. I'm talking about then that stuff, that part of it. Most of them die early. Check them out yourself. Look at the news media. Most of them die early because they don't know they're getting ready to be stepped on. He about to step on your heart and stop it from be, from 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 uh, pumping. That's why I teach the way I do, and I told God at the altar, got a deal. I said, I don't know what you want. <laughs> I'm serious, tired at the altar. I said, God, I don't have a clue what you want with somebody like me. I'm a sorcerer and proud of I'm telling God I'm a, I'm a, I am proud of what I'm doing. This is what I do. How are you going to tell me you love me and call me out of this stuff and then going to give me, okay, I got a deal. And I never went, Todd, since 1971 when God filled me with the Holy Ghost. I have never gone back to any of that stuff. Never, ever, not one time. Have I gone back? Oh, I'm preaching good to myself here. Now, one time. Hallelujah. Oh, I wish I could get some hallelujahs out there in the audience somewhere. Somebody's out there listening, man. They're listening because they're wondering, how can I come out of this drug problem? How can I come out of this sexual thing? How can I come out of this? How can I come out of that? The very same God that saved this fella, this child. This boy that they called the witch boy. This boy that would do seances and 
send stuff through the air and, and all these things I didn't like you flip your car over and and, and spinning fire and stuff. All of that stuff that God can save me the worst, the worst of the worst. I know he can say, hey, go to our box. Thank you, Jesus. He can save anybody, man. Come on, man. He can. Now, I know I don't. I'm sorry. I don't have that Harvard way of talking. Please forgive me. Well, basically, earthquake. I think that God is not. I'm sorry. I'm still got a lot of street in me, even though I've been saved since 1971. I'm sorry about that. But this is just how I talk. <laughs> hey, so earthquake. Yeah, man. Would you pray over everybody listening? Especially about you, you mentioned about being delivered from this this uh, sex, the blood, what gets into the blood, and, and yeah. over the you know profanity. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'd be happy to. Man, you know, you know. Let me tell you one. Let me tell you um, like this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray. There's two things that said are done every day around the world, and you know what they are. One. Is happy birthday to you, right? Happy birthday. That's one. Somebody's having a birthday around this planet every day, celebrating the birthday. You know, Guam, New Rochelle, San Diego, Florida, wherever. Somebody's singing happy birthday, right? I got a few friends on Facebook that birthday is today, so I got to wish them happy birthday later on today. I got to wish, you know, happy birthday. So somebody's got to have a birthday. Next thing. It's around the world, someone is cussing around this planet. So, therefore, if they're cursing, you might be cursing at the house of somebody listening right now. If they're cursing, that means that you got a visitor in your house. I'm telling you the truth, man. You, sister, you got a visitor in your house, and it ain't Cousin Pookie and Sinead and Susan and Clark. It ain't that. This is an entity that came up through the steps that you invited, and when that thing before stepped on my arm, it said, welcome to witchcraft. Now, I didn't know no, no such a thing. I know the sorceress was involved, but I didn't have no idea that when I started saying his name, it automatically would, would bring me into witchcraft. I didn't know that. So every time you cut, check it out, Todd, every time someone says, with the F and the S and this, that, and, and you so-and-so, so-and-so, what's happening, you are dealing it. You are dealing with a spirit that has ushered in witchcraft amongst you, and you didn't even know it. And stepping on you at the same time, stepping on making your life hard, stepping on you, and you wonder why stuff is hard a lot of times and shouldn't be. Why? Because you got that, you got that thing in you that 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 God didn't don't want in there because of lack of knowledge. That's what's happening. So let's pray now, Heavenly Father, God, in the name of Jesus. Oh God, we thank you, bless you. What you brought me from, this new, little, bad, little witch boy that people couldn't stand because of what I was. God, you saved me. You took it out of me. You delivered me from three packs of cools every day, weed, pills, witchcraft, sorcery, Ouija boards, all of that, God, and cussing. But there's people out there now, God. They cuss. They cuss. They cuss. And even in the church, cussing. On the freeway, flipping the bird. I know people that's confessed. They're like, I'll flip the bird at other drivers. I said, no, man, you can't do that. God, forgive them right now. Let them repent. Let them repent. And when you do that, you will send that spirit back down them steps, Proverbs 5. Hallelujah. You will send them back down them steps, God. 
He will send them back down there by the truckloads that's in their houses right now, that's in their bodies. A lot of these things are spirits that are caused because when that spirit enters into them, they don't even know it. He brings sicknesses with them, brings sicknesses and problems and all kinds of pressures, God. In the name of Jesus, Lord, oh, glory to God. Do some mighty works right now inside them. Touch them. Touch them, God. Touch their mouth, Father, in the name of Jesus. Touch them in the back of the head. Touch them in the pit of their stomach. Touch them, God, where that stuff seemed like to come up from the their pits of their stomach, out of their belly. But you said in your word, out of our belly shall flow rivers of living water, God, in the name of Jesus. You all that are listening, cry out to God. Listen to Brother Earthquake. I'm telling you, I was there. Cry out to God. Don't let this day go by and you continue to do that. Don't let it go. Cry out. God will send angels to protect you. He will send them with the the flaming sword. Those that's cutting God. And those that's having sex outside of marriage, not even knowing that there's ten evil. The minimum is ten evil, horrible spirits that get into their bloodstream because you said you are polluted in your blood with these spirits, God. Multiple personalities and, and all kinds of you're taking their joy and all these things, God. Restore this now. I've seen it. I've been there. I'm from that stuff, God. I know what that stuff would do. And you delivered me and saved me from that and washed me. Hallelujah. Wash us Purge us like David said. Cleanse us up. All of this lust going on, all of this stuff about I can be what I want and do what I want in the church and still go to heaven. That's not what the Bible says. That's the doctrine of the devil. Let us repent right now. God, you told me to tell your people to repent. That's exactly what I'm doing. Speak the truth in love. Jesus tells you out there now. All you out there says he loves you with everlasting love, wherever you are. You're not too far gone. If God saved me, pull me out of pits of hell. He'll restore you. He'll keep you. He'll give you the victory. He'll even validate you when people say you ain't no good like they told me. I know I was no good. You had to tell me I was no good. I know I wasn't. God is making me the way I, that he want me to be. The path is over. Love yourself. And, ah, glory. As God said, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to thank you for listening. And I hope this opened your eyes in some way. And if you need prayer, contact us. 